So, Craig. David's. I went to the doctor. Guess what he told me? Um, you've got to have fun no matter what you do. Correct. But you know what I told him? What did you tell him? I said I'm having a tough time because I'm losing my sight, losing my mind. Wish somebody would tell me I'm fine. Losing okay. my sight. <laughs> losing, losing my mind. My mind. Wish somebody would tell me I'm fine. All right, that's Papa Roach for you. And this is No Encore. is Dave Hanratty and there will be no encore welcome to the latest episode of the Craig Farewell Tour yes yes coming into its final stretch it is yeah people have been asking is he actually leaving the show is it all are people stunts? getting sick of me at this stage no they're, they're definitely not you know definitely not yeah, will you? it's that kind of yeah <laughs> come on I should say it's a real Irish no boy. like you're going to hang on for another couple of episodes although you're not here next week so like but you're not that, this and, isn't your yeah, last episode I, I shan't be back <laughs> <laughs> I guess it remains to be seen this is a music podcast Podcast. Welcome everybody. Patreon.com slash noencore if you want to help support the show. Thank you to new people who've signed up this week and to everyone who has ever done such a thing for us. It is greatly appreciated. Yes, yes. Uh, last week's episode was fun. We yarled it up. We went into the world of the Herm Yarl and we talked all about it. I enjoyed it. It was a massive I, success. I listened to the episode three times. It was a good episode. Very good. We were cooking, so it's, it's a it's a tough pressure. And now, uh, how, how do you how do you move on from yarling? Well, you do so by saying that I thought The Whale starring Brendan Fraser wasn't very good, Adam. I know you liked it. I did. I did like it. That's okay. You're allowed. I, I understand why someone might not like it. I didn't hate it. I just thought it was... Overly sentimental? Christ almighty, yeah. It's it, also <laughs> so clearly like... It's very stagey. It's very oh, yeah. well, it's, it's based it's on a play, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's a oh, adaptation. Yeah. You'll, you'll know that. Oh, the many really? times, literally doors open, characters leave, and then the door opens and a character walks in. You're like, <laughs> oh, gee, I wonder. Um, okay, like I'm not looking to trash it or nothing, but uh, obviously, you know, it's getting a lot of Oscar attention. There's, it looks like he's going to win the Oscar. That I'm not so sure about. I still think it swung around to Austin Butler, but if it is Brendan Fraser, it does. It validates me because on the flop culture episode that we did with Fanula Jones, I say as if it's my show. <laughs> I was the guest on her show, Colin Farrell. Good episode, I thought. Very good episode. Um, I you were talking about Colin Farrell. He wasn't uh, also yeah. a guest on the show. No, yeah. uh, well, maybe someday. I picked Brendan Fraser though, so yeah. You liked it? You enjoyed it? You, I did. Did you cry? Uh, no, I didn't. Did you not? I no. actually cried, even though I gave it two stars. I was like, oh, fuck, I got actually, me. I didn't cry is, enough. I, I feel <laughs> like the ending is pretty spectacular in in, ter- in terms of that, like being able to just pull that much yeah, out yeah, of you. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was good. I enjoyed it. Um, I enjoyed Elvis more. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I, I did as well. But anyway, look, that's a that's a these these are films we're talking yeah, about. Two films I've not seen. This is a music podcast. Well, you're, you're gonna have lots of time though. Yeah, to catch done, up on my films. He's done his yeah. quota. You're off next year. week. Oh, I watched another round, which was recommended by both of you, I believe, for the Very first good. time. So, yeah, yeah. Wonderful film. Um, tremendous. Yeah. It's on um, Netflix, by the way. So if anyone has Netflix, go watch another definitely round. Definitely, one hundred percent. Check it out. Gorgeous film. The ending. I'm not going to give anything away, but. It's supposed to be grim, right? I don't think so. That's how you I took think, it. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is, it's, it's open uh, to interpretation. I won't say. I think it's more, uh, yeah. and fi- in fitting with the with the film itself. I think it's very much: Are you in a glass half full or a glass half empty mood? Yeah, I, I mean, there's sadness. Hell. There's sadness in it, but I thought it was actually. I thought it was quite a hopeful ending in a way, yeah. Okay, I thought there was no hope whatsoever. Well, but, um, <laughs> leave it up to the listener. Tremendous. To uh, well, you know, it doesn't take a lot to make me cry, Craig, and I cried with joy this week as I yeah. swept the sleep out of my eyes and I woke up on, I think it was Wednesday morning, 
or Tuesday morning, I should say, rather, and I learned that good friend of the show, Dahi O'Droney, yeah. has former only host go- of the show, former former host of the show, has only gone and fucking landed himself an Irish Film and Television Award yeah. nomination, yeah. an IFTA nomination. Woo! Bravo! Congratulations, for his debut film score, because of course he has, because that's the kind of cat he is. Yeah. The film is Lakelands. It's not out yet, I don't think, on general release, but there's been a lot of buzz about this, and I've seen it kind of building, particularly, obviously, from through the lens of Dahi, who got involved. And uh, I'm looking forward to hearing, isn't that going to be crazy? Hearing Dahi's music in a cinema screen. That's going to rule. Makes mm. so much sense, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, he's, he's moving in that direction. Yeah. Man of many talents. He's in Japan at the moment, by the he way. He is. Spending a month in Japan. A month in Japan with just a bag on his back and his lovely God, girlfriend by his side. That, that's going to be me next year. I'm going to be up for an IFTA. <laughs> I'm going to be in Japan <laughs> having left the show. Um, He's going to take Dahi's life. Talented Mr. Yeah, Ripley yeah, style. Yeah, 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 it's going to go very talented <laughs> Mr. Ripley. Yeah. Um, Dahi? Dahi? Yeah, it's me, Tom. <laughs> Filmed by Robert Higgins, right? Who was former Hot Press. Yeah, yeah. yeah he was briefly there. Uh, yeah. We can claim to know him. Yeah, he's a lovely, lovely he's guy. He's a very nice he's fellow. Been, yeah. um, he's been working away for a long time. Yeah. Um, he so, was yeah, clearly, like, like he was in Hot well. Press very, very briefly and it was very clear to me, I don't know about you, but it was very clear to me, I was like, this guy is super talented. He's too good for this building. What, really? Yeah, I thought How so. How did yeah. you pick up on that? Just had that demeanor about him. And his demeanor. And I was like, <laughs> this guy is. Pulled yeah. him aside one day and I, you know what I said? I said, get out of here, man. Get a, I said, go, get out of here. Go get an IFTA nomination. Go write a film. <laughs> and, you know, I'll see you in, in 12 years or whatever it's been. No, no, I'm joking, of course. Yeah. Uh, he's a very nice guy, though. And it's cool. It's cool to see. It's brilliant. Congrats to all the boys involved. Yeah. Um, all right, so I guess you know—is it a supergroup? Is 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 an ex Hot Press member and a, and a Dahio Droney teaming up to you know get Oscar gold? Is that like a supergroup? Sure. No. Former <laughs> people associated with us. Yeah. Is that the only connection? Maybe. Vaguely associated. Why do I ask this question? Uh, it's it's our top five. We're doing top five supergroups, Dave. Yeah. It's, it you was, came uh, up with a few ideas. Yeah. And, really um, good ones. Really, really good ones. They're all very good. Yeah. We couldn't do them all. No. So. We tried, but <laughs> <laughs> so I picked this one out of your out of your list. Yeah, and uh, it's top five supergroups. And Craig said it's my turn to do worst, and I said I'm having that. Yeah, I wanted to do an L worst because it's fun before I left, but no, <laughs> <laughs> still time. Um, still a couple of shows. <sighs> there is, there's always time. Um, I found actually best. I thought best was going to be extremely easy. And then as I delved into the world of the supergroup, I was like, most of these are dreadful. <laughs> it's really like... You could have called an audible and just presented five. I'm not going to stop you. And, uh, yeah. Just, I, I think, well, I'm, some of my picks are like, I think, really good examples of supergroups that I'm extremely fond of, but they're not without their criticisms. Yeah, um, yeah, so yeah. it should be an interesting one. The definition... I'm sure you had a whale at the time, right? Oh my God, No man. pun intended based on <laughs> fucking previous film talk. Yeah, Brendan Fraser's in, in here. Um, no, uh, yeah, oh, like, I mean, Jesus, it was a case of... Of how do I pick just five? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. But I think the five I have are pretty special. Uh, the definitions vary, though. You know, there's like I saw people saying like Brandy and Monica is a supergroup. I'm like, no, it isn't. Uh, yeah, I, I steered clear of um, just duos. I was like, is this just a collaboration? Just to rein it in for myself. But um, yeah. yeah, I was thinking it needs to be a bit more of a collective. We just went off a very generic like wiki Wikipedia thing of like definition. Yeah. <laughs> A collective of pre-established artists convening to create some new music, attempting to blend styles, blah, 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 kind of thing. Everyone gets it, really. I think this first super group was supposed to be Cream. Yeah. Um, Eric Clapton's in like four of these. loads of them, yeah. I Didn't make my best of, weirdly. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> oh, I wonder why. Old Eric. Give uh, that man a chance, Craig. Oh, God, he's had too many chances, Dave. Well, I'll tell you where he isn't. He isn't headlining Glastonbury this year. Hit the news. <laughs> <laughs> 
Start spreading the news. No room for Clapton at the end. What did they announce Clapton as a headliner at Glastonbury well, in the year of our Lord 2023? There's a lot of controversy, apparently, about this because all white men, although it isn't, that's what people were saying. They're saying it's all white men, forgetting that Slash from Guns N' Roses is not white. Yes. But nonetheless, Craig, Lana Del Rey has blasted Glasto. Hashtag Glasto. Glastonbury. Glastonbury? Yeah. <laughs> Can you um, identify what the problem is? Like, last Friday, the lineup was announced, and I was like, it's not that bad, is it? 52% are male, but, you know, everyone's upset about it. Yeah. There's no male headliners. Um, she is mainly upset about the, her positioning on the poster, I think. I mean, get over it. This is always the problem, really. So she's headlining, um, the other stage and essentially, you know, like everyone knows what the poster looks like at this point. It's kind of just a list of names. There's no real delineation between stages and stuff. So it doesn't have her as well. Yeah. It doesn't have her as the obvious like headliner of a stage. Mm -hmm. Um, she took to Instagram. She wasn't pleased. She says, um, well, I'm actually headlining the second stage, but since there was no consideration for announcing that, we'll see. Is it just me, or <laughs> we'll is that see. really fucking immature? Yeah, it is. It's very... Um, you take a name of graphic design, and don't get me wrong, they had that crazy circular line of poster before, and that was terrible, but... Hurt to read. Yeah, it wasn't great, was it? No. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, the sentiment of getting more female performers on bills is uh, entirely correct. This is something different, though. This is an ego stroke for someone that's already headlining stage, yeah. right? This is Jesus nothing Christ. to do with representation. And it's I just mean, like, yeah. Yeah, like the, I read this story and it said, like, a source close to the star admitted <laughs> she was, quote, disappointed and felt let down. The insider told The Sun on insider. Sunday. Someone with an Instagram fucking app yeah, on their all, phone. First of all, fuck The Sun yes. and forever. And second of all, The Insider. Yeah, I love it. Um, Lana is disappointed. She was proud to be doing a headline slot, but on the announcement graphic, her name is buried among lesser-known artists. She feels let down, being presented as an afterthought, lagging behind the all-male trio. Who are well, on the pyramid stage. Also, I mean, lagging behind, like it's the Premier League. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's got Womp 7-0, but we won't talk any further <laughs> oh, about that. Jesus, yeah, it was upsetting, man. wasn't it? Um, this is nonsense, obviously. Uh, sorry, speaking of the sun and how horrible the sun is, did you watch the George Michael documentary? I haven't seen it as yet, but I will. It's a two-parter. It's up on all four at the moment. It's called Outed, and it's about the, obviously, uh, lewd misconduct, as it was, the lewd act that he was uh, destroyed by the media for back in the 90s. Yeah, he was set up. Big time, yeah. So I watched it, and it's really, really well put together, but it's also very upsetting and infuriating, and it's yet another reminder that George Michael was a god among men Mm -hmm. who did not receive the treatment he should have from people. And it was fucked up because, like, you know, they were talking about it, these horrible scumbag paparazzi being like, well, we all knew he was gay, but once that happened, it was it was open season Yeah, on, you know, just ruining his life, apparently. And, you you know, you, there's lots of tabloidification. The amount of tabloid front pages and just stories and headlines and the language used, in The Sun in particular, it's genuinely shocking, you know? I mean, AIDS being referred to as the gay plague... Uh, you yeah. know, pervert. this is not like the 1950s we're talking about. No, this, this is, is yeah. this is this is 1998. Yeah, but also, but also the 80s as well. Like, like I mean, there's lots of you know, like cause the documentary takes time to discuss uh, how George Michael was hardly the first person. He just happened to be an extremely prominent celebrity, but how gay people were treated with regards to particularly like you know when the AIDS virus emerged yeah. and the papers. And what they what they did with that, and like there's even like there's 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 guys who in various different forms of life and various different forms of professional life or whatever 
who are like much older now and they're just reminiscing on what happened to them. I say reminiscing like it's a fun thing, recalling, I should say. And they're still really emotionally like upset when they say like, you know, that was the end of my career and that was my life because of this. And you have like the, the flip side of the coin a bit, like the tabloidification of things and how like Kelvin McKenzie, complete oh. scumbag. And they're like, he was brilliant. He was a genius because he understood that the Sun's audience were racist and homophobes and he played <laughs> to the gallery and you're like, whoa. And it's just, it's so normalized, you know, it's so simple. I yeah. guess that was just, I just saw the Sun written down there and that was my, my opportunity to just go on my high horse about that. But I would say... Uh, it's a good documentary, good being a strange word to use, but obviously, you know, and it just makes you sad. It makes you just realise once again that George Michael fucking ruled. Yeah, he really did. He handled it so well. Um, It did also bring me back to that amazing thing when he was on Hard Talk in 2003. Oh, right, yeah. Talking about the Iraq war and and the Noel Gallagher thing. Mm -hmm. It's great when he just tears down Noel Gallagher. Because like Noel Gallagher says, you know, how can George Michael condemn a war because he hid who he was for years. And again, George Michael's so classy, so dignified with his gun back. And I want to say, he has a great bit when he goes, this is not an intelligent man. <laughs> it's just so withering. I loved his appearance in the, as far back as the 80s, on like that kind of cultural review thing with Morrissey. I think everyone's probably seen it at this point where they're just talking about, is it a Joy Division reissue? Or maybe it's a book about them or something. And Morrissey comes across as very like well dismissive but also very surface and just not he's like doing his thing of like I never really got the Joy Division thing and has to be a contrarian but is, in, is contributing nothing and George Michael's sitting there looking like a perfect like 80s pop star with like the tan and the hair and everything and he's like yeah I was really into Joy Division particularly side 2 of like Closer it was just some of that that music was just like so funereal and just and it has this really good take on it and like it's talking about Ian Curtis in depth and you're just like this is the genius this is the guy like yeah 100% yeah. And when wasn't I mean like, like it's 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 probably too far of a stretch that he wasn't appreciated in his time because he was a massively commercially successful pop star with some incredible music, but like yeah, maybe like we didn't quite fully appreciate the level the of press it. Press tried to turn him into a joke, even like right up into his death. Yeah, like he maybe obviously he had his problems, but he just it was used to kind of beat him with, and be, like he was and just made what? a bunchline. <laughs> like, nothing, yeah. There's even a part where like at the start of the documentary, you see like some guy sitting there for an interview, and he goes, George. Are you gay? And George Michael like it just laughs at him. He's like, really? He's like, first question. Like he's just like, but everyone felt that they were entitled to a piece of it. Yeah, that's not how it was. But anyway, so what did Emily Evis have to say about Glastonbury, Greg? That's what we all want. Um, yeah, it's the so, real story here. Yeah, so she's kind of said that like there's a real dearth of viable female headliners this year. Um, it's an industry pri- pipeline problem. Um, I love that. It's like shell oil, you know? Yeah, it's very, um, it's all business, isn't it? It's, and like they, she's the person booking the head, like surely she decides who is headliner size. Well, she, I know there's she, a lot more going into it. She turned it, it back on like the foundational industry and she's like, radio stations and, you know, local promoters, I can't do it all. Yeah, and like she's saying a lot of um, major female stars are kind of like, off kind of promotional cycles or touring cycles this year or something like that and also that, one, that there was a female there was previously booked. a confirmed female headliner that had to pull out because she changed her touring plans it seems like it might have been Taylor Swift that's smart when he's in Taylor Swift I mean maybe it's Beyonce but I feel like it's probably Taylor Swift and I, I, like, I, like I said on Today FM a couple of days ago I was like you know it's less for me about well we didn't get a woman it's more about you got Guns and Roses <laughs> like really? Guns and Roses can't get Taylor Swift uh, Axel <laughs> Cousin Roses, who added a female keyboard player, ah, Alyssa Reese, to their lineup in 2016. That's, what, what's, the, so, what, what's all the there fuss you go, about? representation. Yeah. 
Guns and Roses headlining at this point is. I know they're they've still never massive. Done it. They've never done it, and it is. Have they not? No, no, not last. Could you be no. bothered seeing Guns and Roses? No, I, I genuinely could yeah. not. Um, but I would say, like, it's it's Glastonbury. I don't care. Elton John's there as well because you know it's his last ever UK show, allegedly. Yeah, this I mean, happening. I'm sorry. This fucking goodbye <laughs> tour. It's like my goodbye <laughs> tour on this show. I was like, two trips around the world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, I will say, like, there's a. Emily was contradicts herself hilariously because she's like, look, she's like, you can't just get Elton John. It's not that easy. And she goes, so I wrote him a letter yeah. and I said, you have to do it. And Elton said, yes, yeah, immediately. The I'm phone. Like, I was like, it's yeah. pretty easy to me. <laughs> and Arctic Monkeys also headlined. That seems a bit pedestrian, no? They've done it like at least twice before, right? Yeah, what the fuck? So it's kind of, yeah, par for the course. Again, you... with an album that no one, <laughs> I want to hear, but no one wants to hear on the Pyramid stage. It's such a weird position. sells yeah. itself. They've renamed the John Peel stage. Yeah. What like, is it called now? Woodsies. Woodsies? Yeah, that's it, yeah. Is that in reference to anything? Uh, the, the, part of an overall naming convention to reflect more of the physical terrain that they're on or oh, something. Oh, okay, okay. And okay. she's like, it's nothing to do with that petition and people calling for him to be completely erased because of <laughs> yeah, yeah, personal yeah. issues that he had or things he did in his life. Oh, no, no, 60s, let's move Buckaroo, on. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Glastonbury um, anyway. Who fucking cares? Glastonbury. I just... I'm never going to go. So, you know. I enjoy watching the old BBC coverage, I have to say. Do you? Yeah, it's, you? it's kind of pedestrian, It's but it's comfortable. Do you I will know what say, I mean? It's like a familiar uh, not be, ritual. Not to be too dismissive here, I will say, like, you know, I did, there's lots of Twitter kind of, you know, hubbub about this and such, and ultimately, you know, if you have a problem with Glastonbury's whatever the fuck, that's fine. And I wouldn't say don't have that and don't feel that way, and I'm sure for women artists it's annoying not to see a woman in the main headliners, but I do think that with 52% men versus 48% women and... Lots of non-binary and lots of diversity elsewhere. It's Glastonbury, like there's like 2,000 acts or something. I, I think that they're doing better than others. You know, yeah, not to I defend mean, a festival I really have no interest in, but like... I think it's pretty abundantly clear they are doing much better than others. And look, it's three fucking men on this podcast. But I mean, I'm just saying it's like, whatever. I, I don't, I just don't, I don't think, I saw some very kind of like, it felt almost like pre-formed, you know, like I was like, really? I was like, I was like, this isn't the Transmit Festival. <laughs> I was yeah. like, I've seen a lot worse. You're taking a very small sample size of like the headliners in this year and it's clearly based on the context of, you know, there would have been a female there. It's just kind of circumstantial stuff and like, yeah, I didn't quite get it. It's a conversation that's still worth having because as you say, there are other festivals that fucking need to sort their acts out, but I don't think Glastonbury is probably the major problem. So yeah. Yeah. Um, can we open the bottle box, please? Oh, absolutely, we can. <laughs> please, please, please. He's a communist. If you think about that, that's kind of mad, isn't it? So yeah, um, you two aren't playing Glastonbury. Um, but we can talk about them because uh, The Edge has spoken out and said that he and Bono are anxious, quote, to release a new guitar-driven album. Oh, great. Look forward to hearing it in a decade. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He said in the interview that they have, quote, an embarrassment of riches of new material in addition to the reimagined originals appearing on the forthcoming album Songs of Surrender, which comes out on the 17th of March, a bunch of reworks, which so far have sounded not amazing. Um... Yeah. Edge told Rolling Stone the fans can expect new songs, which Bono recently said will make up a quote, noisy, uncompromising, unreasonable, unreasonable. guitar <laughs> album. I just don't think that U2 will ever make this album, do you? No. It'll be another U2 album at this stage of their career. The mo- What's probably the most guitar-y album they've done? Octung Baby? Uh, but even that, yeah, maybe. 
I mean, how to dismantle an atomic bomb was kind of them focusing on riffs and stuff, but That's, it didn't sound yeah. unreasonable or mm, uncompromising. No. I don't know if they have it in them to deliver what they're suggesting here. They've won, you know, they've the edge on guitar. It's not a man known to rip it up. Well, a great he, guitarist, but you know, it's funny because like Rolling Stone really drilled down and they said, "Well, what, what does Bono mean by a guitar album?" And Edge said, "Personally, I feel like the guitar as an instrument, not in terms of being loved and played by so many musicians around the world, but professional amateur. But in terms of its presence in the streaming music charts, <laughs> it's been in the wilderness for a little while. I feel myself there's a resurgence of interest in guitar." I sort of feel it instinctually. It's starting to percolate up. I feel the timing is right. None of this means anything. No, Conti- it quote, quote continues. I think it'd be wonderful and very welcome for us to make some music that is more driven by guitar. That is the intention. That isn't to say we're turning into ACDC. Heaven forbid. But we'll find a way to use the instrument in a fresh way as much as possible. It's still my first love for me as an instrument. Adam was talking last week about <laughs> The guitarist for you too. Yeah. <laughs> AI, like, generated Who quotes. have guitar tracks on all of their work constantly. Are they going to layer in more guitars? Like, if he's a, f- a fresh new way. I mean, he is. He's a bit of a pioneer, it must be said. I've they're always doing, stuck up for him. They're doing, obviously, they're doing Oxygen Baby at this resident. This, 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 it's not a residency thing that they're doing. Yeah. But he's like, we might not play the, the album in order. Yeah, mix it up a little I bit. I don't agree with that, man. I think you should play the album in order. That's how it should work at these shows. Yeah, I think so. I think so. But they're going to... They've already done that Octung Baby thing though, right? Actually, I think their Glastonbury performance was very Octung Baby heavy, wasn't it? Was it maybe an anniversary and they came out and they did, I think like the first six songs were Octung Baby and it was good, but like the crowd were just like, what's all this stuff? (laughs) What are you doing here? (laughs) But I was like, you know. (laughs) And people were like, we don't know. Um, It's interesting that, yeah, I don't know, they're going to do a big like uncompromising guitar album at a time when Larry seems to be taking a setback because oh, he yeah. seemed to be the guy and also all of these quotes from like Bono and The Edge are very much like yeah Bono was saying and oh yeah The Edge and me are in agreement of like there's never a mention of like Adam or Larry or like and they always seemed like the two that were constantly trying to get the band back to basics and mm-hmm. like let's be just you know a fucking no-nonsense rock quartet and it would be Bono and The Edge that are like no, let's listen to some like craft work and be <laughs> think outside the box. So I don't know. It's it's a weird it's a weird time for them. We they, got a yeah. we got a bit more info on Bram Vandenberg, the oh, new drummer. Great. Um, he was introduced to the band by Dutch DJ Martin Garrix, who you will there recall is. they worked on with the song for. Um, World World Cup, Cup. Olympics was, Olympics. I think it was Euro twenty twenty, was it not? Oh, it was the Euros. Yeah, we are I just the remember them on the beach with the football. For. Yeah. Maybe it was World Cup 2018, was it? It was one of those. I think, I think it was the Euros. It was a sporting event. I can't remember, but it was, yeah, it was one of them. And so Edge said, we're very taken by his playing and the kind of person he is. He's a real powerhouse, but he's also just a great hang. He's a sweet person to spend time with. Of course, it's crucial for us since you two runs on those deep friendships and connections. That was the criteria. Harry who? We've since done a little more work together to see how it might work. I think it's going to be great. Of course, we'll be missing our pal Larry oh, desperately. Of course. We're so disappointed. It sounds like it, doesn't it? He won't be there to be occupying the drum stool. Everyone has the right to call in sick. Call in sick. Oh my God. Call in him. Call in sick. That's so thinly veiled, isn't it? years of working together, this is the first time it's happened. I kind of think it's amazing that we haven't ever hit this in the past. Yeah, I think there's a bit of passive aggressive shade there, dude. Oh, 100%. Are you kidding me? Do you think? Yeah. Particularly when in the past they've been adamant that they would never do anything without it being the four of them. Do you know what I mean? Wow. Do you think he's never coming back? 
hurt. Like it's, I think his it's heart's a, not in it anymore. From like his interviews over the last maybe decade, he just seems w- w- kind of world weary and fed up with Bono's antics and back injury too is a lot. Yeah, yeah. You know that's a lot. Yeah, joking aside, for a drummer, I mean, you see the like Phil Collins being put through the ringer, and you see like photos of some of his final shows, and it's just so kind of sad. I mean, yeah, that is a very demanding role. So. If his back's in bits, it's not great. Well, actually, uh, speaking of demanding things oh, yeah. from you two, let's hear from Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> Start of this clip might be a bit loud, by the way, because of the audio, the way it was captured. I am going to just say this now as a taunt and as a suggestion. You two, do a matinee. Cold play, do a matinee. What about a 12 noon concert cold play? What about it? Bruce Springsteen, do a fucking matinee. You're old. Why wouldn't you let me come see you, Bruce Springsteen, in your glory days, pun intended, um, and do it at noon or one o'clock, two o'clock, two o'clock matinee, theater in New York, two o'clock. I will come and hear your five-hour concert, Bruce, at two o'clock, and I'm going to be home and in bed by 7.30. I mean, she's great, isn't she? She's great. She makes <laughs> a great class. point. I'm in full agreement. <laughs> Matinee should be a thing. Someone needs to remix that into like some kind of incredible dance track. Yeah. I guarantee it's out there already. They got a point where it sounded a bit stalker. I'll come see your concert, Bruce, you know? <laughs> so uh, why did Jamie Lee Curtis go on this insane rant, you ask? Uh, it's because she was speaking on the red carpet at the Independent Spirit Awards uh, last weekend. Yeah. And she said she declined her invite to an Oscar nominee dinner because she'd rather go to bed early. Quote, why? Because mommy goes to bed early. Glad you quoted. Because 7.30 is going to be nine before we get food. And you know what? There's nothing good happening to me after nine o'clock. Nothing. Zero. <laughs> it's the spirit. Listen, as someone who spirit routinely puts on, puts on films at like 10pm, I will also agree there's nothing good going on with me after nine o'clock either. What about you, Craig? I'm just gearing up. I'm just coming alive, baby. <laughs> um, no, I think she's right. Why is there such a taboo or just like a People a are blanks- in work, you know? Weekend um, matinee show. Like oh, yeah, you Saturday fine, fine. afternoon, you ramble into town, you catch a gig, then you, you're finished, you go for a bite to eat and you go for pints. Because you'd be day drunk, I suppose, you know, you'd be hammered. You don't have to drink at the gig, Dave. I kind of need, <laughs> kind of need it. <laughs> for for me, my first gig was a matinee. For me, the gig isn't the juice. My first gig was a matinee. The first gig I ever went to. What, what was, was it? The Paolo Nutini in the Academy. Holy shit. Oh, How yeah. was that? Oh. Matinee show was pretty great. Did actually. he have his new shoes on, did he? It was, was it that? It was that album, yeah. It was the first album tour. Wow. It was really, really good. It was really good. I was a ki- I was a kid. I can't remember yeah. when it was, but one of my f- one of my first gigs was a matinee. I always remember it was in Red Box the venue. Uh, it was a okay band called Nectar. <laughs> I think quickly <laughs> broke up thereafter. Me and a bunch of my mates had seen them at like the League Sub Festival, hey. and they sounded a bit like Nirvana. And they did some like covers <laughs> of like fucking Alice in Chains. Recently talked about on show and stuff. Yeah. And um, yeah, they were they're pretty all right. So we went to see them in Redbox, and they played like a fucking two o'clock show. I don't think and, I've um, ever seen a matinee show. Moshed about. It was good. I don't think I've I don't think I've ever been to one. Yeah, I mean they're few and far between. It would feel weird. Like, it I mean, served a purpose for like me at the time as I wouldn't have got to go to the other one because it was an 18s plus. I mean, obviously yeah, like at yeah. a festival, you know, we've all seen acts at 12 in the day or whatever, but like I don't think I've been to a matinee. Like a purposeful. No, I don't yeah. think so. No, no. I, I, I think I'd feel very weird about it. They are far and few between. 
I think like a morning show would be really good. A morning show. Yeah, what like is a, wrong with you? Like at 8 a.m. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Swedish House Mafia at 9 a.m. Papa Roach, 9 a.m. <laughs> Sharp. Uh, that, that, that would be funny. That would be good. Um, so, okay, so you think there's merit to this, do you? The, yeah. Now, uh, yeah, w- would it be a thing where you're expecting the band to play a matinee and then a, an evening show? That might be a bit much for musicians. Yeah. They'll I just, mean, if you yeah. get the full Coldplay experience at 1 p.m., you know. It has a lot to be right happening act. at one, isn't it? isn't it? Like one in the day, too much fireworks. Noise complaints, though. Like, like there's all kinds of logistical concerns here, I think. So have she, you seen... she got me with the Bruce thing, where it's like she did that thing of like, oh yeah, do your five-hour show, which is like f- very funny. But also, yeah, that sounds great. Like a fucking Bruce Marathon in the afternoon, then you're out for some dinner. It's great. If he was playing a five-hour show, I guess you could leave halfway through for a while, like take a nap. You could go for dinner, come back shots. and you'd say, yeah, you're still going. Still yeah, yeah. to play all still the tunes going. you want to hear. Like yeah, that yeah. would work. Born. I don't know. But it's like, like I equate it with day drinking, which doesn't suggest that I couldn't possibly go. But if you go to a gig, you know, like I'm just like, I, I, you know, one overpriced pint, please. You know, it's... To loosen up, yeah, well, like what, a, like an afternoon match. I mean, what's yeah. the difference? Well, I don't know. Uh, I don't want to talk about afternoon football ever again. I know. Um, everything, everywhere, all at once. It's going to win all the Oscars this weekend. What do you think of the film? I watched forty minutes of it and <laughs> turned it off in disgust. I, well, I was fuming. No, I, I, um, I don't know. I, I, I found it very hard to get into. Yeah, Maybe I need to give yeah. it another go. It's good I liked it but I did think it was extremely overbearing and I know that's the point but I was kind of like good lord can we get to the ending please there's only one multiverse I need in my life Doctor Strange's multiverse of madness absolutely is it? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god you've been watching the latest Marvel stuff yeah I keep up with it um, not a fan anymore like can are you ever gonna top that uh, Absolutely Which not. one? Endgame. Endgame. Oh, right, okay. Um, I think there's better films than that. I think it was very telling the way you said, yeah, I, I keep up with it, like it's now a chore and it's <laughs> yeah, just commitment. I feel like I've kind of nailed my flag to the mast. And Craig, why haven't you seen everything everywhere all at once? Is because you don't like films predominantly made with Asian people, is it? Is that your problem? You know, it? that's why. And yeah. <laughs> I'd rather not talk about it. Um, no, I really must see it. Um, I must see it's it. on Amazon Prime, don't you know? I used to have Amazon Prime, but then they got rid of the X-Files and I said, see ya. So yeah. that was why you cancelled it. Now, yeah. <laughs> it was 100%. It and then it I signed up for Disney+. Plus. Yeah. And um, long you, after you, you I finished find, the X-Files. You won't find uh, everything everywhere all at once on Disney+, Plus, but you will find every Marvel film ever made, so quids oh, in. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I thought it was fine. Like, I, I thought it was just very like uh, Mark Conroy, a friend of the show. Actually, his Letterbox review uh, was very funny. I need to try and find it now. Just give me a second. Okay, but um, I mean, like you know, I think it's going to win Best Picture, even though I don't think it's that good. Um, I'd be happy with Michelle Yeoh winning because she's fucking cool. She's great, and yeah. she's great in it. To be fair, like it's an it's an incredible performance in many many ways. Um, but I think Cape Blanchett will probably pip her too, which I'd also be okay with. I would love that. But I think, it, but it would great be very film. cool to see Michelle Yeoh win it. And you know, I don't think. I don't think an Asian woman or an Asian person has an Asian person ever won a fucking best actor or actor? I don't think so. That's a good question. I think Halle Berry is the only woman of colour to ever win an Academy Award for best actress, like the lead role, which is mental. Yeah. We think about how long the Oscars have been going for. That is wild. What are they on um, now? 80? No, I think it's like 90 something, isn't it? Loads of them. Absolutely loads of them. Donkey's ears. Mark Conroy, uh, reviewing everything everywhere all at once, said, Far too long, but at times inventive and exhilarating. I think the sheer length of that emotional climax felt like something from a CIA black site bordering on torturous. He's not wrong. Uh, It's very impressive in lots of ways, but you're also just like, Jesus... And it's, I don't know, it's fine. Is it uh, as good as Top Gun Maverick? No, Top Gun okay. Maverick's a better sorry, film, and I'm sorry to say it. Unbelievably good film. Yeah, yeah I'm sorry it's to say it, but it, like, it's a better film, in my <laughs> opinion. Um, that's just my opinion. We keep oh, getting into no. film talk, you know. I, watched, I saw Scream 6 today. 
Verdict? In, um, in three words. Can you get me up to speed with where we're at with the other screams? Like now? Just, yeah, 10 oh. minutes, go on. Oh, well, hang on. <laughs> well, hang on, hang on. Like, like genuinely, like, I mean, like, what, 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 how would I, have you seen any of them? Like, I've seen one and two. Okay. I might have seen three, although okay. maybe that was like one of the scary movies at that point. I'm like, um, they all just seem to it, morph into one. Well, it punched itself out after the trilogy, you know, and then it disappeared for a long time. Yeah. And then it came back in 2011, I want to say, with Scream 4 or Screfham, if you saw the way the poster was <laughs> yeah. stylized with the four and the blah, blah, blah. And that was Wes Craven again, but it wasn't very good. R.I.P. Wes Craven. He was cool. Yes. I liked him a lot. He seemed like a nice man. And yeah, it was kind of like the death knell. It was like, no, nah, this, this just isn't very good. But then it went away. It came back again 11 years later, last year. So it came back just called Scream, which is very annoying because it's the fifth one and now they're calling it Scream 6. Um, it's a franchise reboot. You know, I think you can go into it and, you know, have fun with them. They're both good. I liked them both. Scream 6 is good. It wasn't quite as good as I wanted it to be, but I thought... David Arcash make an appearance? Yeah, I, in, uh, I don't want to... Like, you know, it's, Okay, so that's a yes. <laughs> if you if you've seen the f- ones you've seen, just pick it up. I I think it's a, it's, it's a good franchise. Okay. They played go. Denzel Curry in the new one. I was like, that's cool. Pretty solid yeah, points for that. Yeah. Some good music in it. I feel yeah, like that makes sense in the it context. Does. It does. Yeah. Just in the background at like a party or something. But I was like, that's Denzel Curry. That's cool. Always good to hear him. And some Billie Eilish in there. You know? And the Helix. Yeah, what the fuck, by the, the way. The Helix like, is such a strange venue. He's popping up very occasionally. And I it's go like, back. It's like where I went to college. Like, I mean, you know. <laughs> Have you not been back, no? No, no, no. I, I, I got my vaccine. Well, let him in. <laughs> I, I got my vaccine there. Oh, yeah, you did get your Which is better there. than seeing the vaccines anywhere, I would say. Vaccines well, had a couple of chills. Take that, band that are no good that Craig kind of likes. They have at least... Two and a half good songs. Two and a half. Yeah, all we could ever hope for. Reckon in this world. good. And and I can't remember Re- the other one. Is not good. Yes, it is. It's a watched, very good. I remember at a festival, you dragging me to the vaccines, and you were having the time of your life, and I was like, "This sucks." <laughs> and it was Reckon Bar, and you're like, "This fucking rules," and I was like, "This is awful." Why? What awful. didn't you like about it? It's a good rah 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 lad indie bollocks. Like it's. Oh, but what's rah 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 about it? Well, that's sorry, that is American, but that's ironic. That's an ironic thing. It's fucking clever, clever. I know I'm recommending the Scream franchise. Yeah, what do you? Yeah. You want to talk? <laughs> right, clever, clever. I, I only wish I wrote the Scream franchise because that'd be a sweet gig. <laughs> if you're listening, Radio Silence, that's the name of the people who make the movies, Craig. Very good. Anyway, look, we'll have Radio Silence on this film discussion because that's not, not what anyone's here for, are they? I don't know. Maybe they're, they're here are. for music I think, talk. I, think uh, I was going to about the weekend thing, but it's a bit long in the tooth, isn't it? He's got a show with HBO and like it looks. There's controversy. Rolling Stone did a kind of expose, which and was then very was in depth. Ver- and, yeah, you know, very yeah. cringe. The main thing was the cringe rebuttal video can you, okay, well, like, can, can you give us even the bullet points of this HBO like like what is the show and what's going on the show is I, I think he, is he um, the he's a producer The Weeknd is a producer on it um, and he's in it he's in it he stars as like a cult leader who takes this um rising like pop star under his wing played and, by Lily Rose Depp yes the Lily show is Rose called Depp. The Idol um, and it was initially apparently going to be um, a biting satire of um, you know media and um, the exploitation of young people and young women and sexualization of them and that kind of thing um, 
they parted company with the original director, right? Amy, or showrunner. Amy Simetz, yeah. He's yeah. also an actor. Yeah. And brought on board... Barry Levin. Not Barry Levinson. Uh, Sam. Sam, Le- Sam Levinson. Son of Barry Levinson. Yeah, son, Nepo baby. Son of Sam. Yeah. Son of Barry. <laughs> son of Sam. Why? Uh, no one knows. Um, Out of prison. Yeah. yeah the, guy, the guy who made Euphoria, basically. And um, I, th- I believe the cast and crew thought, okay, well, we've just got a few kind of scenes to like wrap up. And, and um, instead, there was massive rewrites and they the show was brought... $70 million worth of recorded footage yeah yeah and then went let's just do it again things got very very messy and it, it seemed to take, was, tr- yeah. take a direction in where yeah it turned into the very thing it was satirizing and um it sounds pretty toxic on set 13 anonymous crew members talked to rolling stone and basically were like yeah it's kind of it's, it's gotten really gross and fucked up out here yeah and, and i mean nothing that seemed all that earth shattering no to, to be honest but i mean I not great anything, stuff but, like it went from a woman's perspective and the weekend apparently said it's focusing too much on the woman's perspective and then it turned into let's have more sex scenes with lily, lily rose depp and allegedly sam levinson was on set more for that than he was for anything else. That's not great. That's what's in the report. Yeah, it seems like the weekend was just like, let's get some more of me in this and let's make it more like all of my music videos and all of my creative output since I started. If true, but what was his rebuttal? Oh, so we got this, um, I think, one minute video of him in character with Lily Rose Depp um, and basically being offered a Rolling Stone cover and being like, "Uh, how many Instagram followers do they have? And like, Bragging about how the fictional characters have more IG followers than Rolling Stone to be like, irrelevant. That was the rebuttal. Slagging off Rolling Stone in fiction. But I don't think that was constructed after the report. I think that's in the show. It's just a clip from the thing. And so there was talk of like, the only reason Rolling Stone had come after us is because they knew that we were going to slag them off. And I'm like, I don't think so. It's weak sauce. And um, yeah, it would seem like he cannot act. Well, he's all. lined up a new film as well on top of this with, uh, who's doing the score? One of Tricks Point Never, I think. Oh, okay. That might be good. Well, Listen, he was I, in, like, uh, I like his music. Yeah. This goes back to my sister's um, argument that he is not a charismatic person in general oh. or not really a star. Yeah. You outside think, of, sorry, you don't think The weekend is a star? I see her point. I remember the Super Bowl just thinking he's not really pulling this off in a way. Not like that kind of mega star thing of like he's captivating, kind of doing nothing. He's always a bit try hard. It's, he's a bit amorphous. Yeah, I kind of get it. Like, he's not at that upper, uh, like, absolute upper echelon. Oh, I don't know. Musically, I think, I think he's brilliant, but like. I think musically he's waned, but I think he's a star. I do think he's a star. Yeah. But I also. He's not, is he charismatic? No, he's not charismatic. Yeah. Sure, the first time I remember. Fine. Do you mean in terms of like a stage presence or like. But st- as I mean, a bloke. As a, yeah. As, yeah. <laughs> I kind of mean more as like a human being. He seems kind of devoid of he it. He doesn't do any fucking interviews. I mean, like. That's the th- but the thing is, he doesn't do the interviews because I remember hearing. So I. It was back when I was working in like, I was working in a small room in my old job and I, I was able to have the radio on. So I had like the tuning app and I was able to listen to BBC radio on. It was like the fucking the highlight of my day because I was listening to some seriously good music. It was like 2013. So there was a lot of, I've ended up finding a lot of stuff. That aside, uh, Clara Amfo had um, the weekend on to do a live lounge. Right. And the live lounge is very good. And then obviously it's customary that they do an interview either before or afterwards. He genuinely said two words and she was like, right, so um, we're moving swiftly on. 
but that's like I don't I, I that, that's okay like it was good when he did it like that and it was you know he was anonymous at the start and was that mystique and but the more and more you see and hear was, of him the more and more I will like, say oh beyond God. you know like it's a drip beyond <laughs> beyond like you know sex drugs what like excess and you know like fucking existentialism I don't know what he stands for necessarily and we've had this conversation yeah he stands for nothing <laughs> I don't think he stands for bangers he stands for bangers that's an old good thing to stand for yeah. Manix Flynn ran on that for years didn't <laughs> <laughs> Very good. I, I just don't know. I, I think it's fine. I, the show sounds try hard and edgy. I haven't seen Euphoria by the way because I'm, I'm stay away. It's just so fucking wanky. I hear it's very good. It's what? Oh, it's not. I also like, feel like I'm too old for it. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, how I felt when like I watched half it. an episode. I'm it's, like, it's, it's not. It's, my it's, it's also. It's more so. I'm. It's more so that I'm like. I just don't need to see a parade of really sexy actors play depressed teenagers who fuck all the time. And just yeah. like constantly, constantly, constantly abuse drugs and alcohol like, and yeah, like, like are knocking the heads off each other and like it's just, it's, oh, I can't, I can't anymore. Like, just give me something. We're so old. Give me, give me, give me, give me Top Gun Maverick. Yeah, <laughs> you know, Top Gun Maverick's pretty good, guys. You know, yeah, it's you far, I, like if you're not missing out on anything. Okay. If I was to sum up the take, Scream notes. Six has a sexy young cast, as does Scream Five. You know, so no David Arquette. <laughs> I don't want to spoil oh, oh, I just spilled all over myself Craig, Craig made a mess there everybody <laughs> A sparkling mess with, with his water Cracking open some river rock And um, it'll dry Water dries Okay Go on uh, That's about it really I think um, Yeah no the Screen films are alright uh, Finally Tottenham Hotspur Football yeah uh, They're in hot water themselves Over uh, their latest signing Tottenham have uh, <laughs> landed themselves in hot water with their local authorities after the stadium breached its license by selling tickets to a fifth Beyonce concert Outrageous. this year. It's basically the Garth Brooks thing, but with Beyonce, but in London. So, how are they going to get away with this one? Do you think um, it's the exact same stuff? It's local people giving out and you know, local councillors saying we're so disappointed and blah 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 blah. The only thing I thought about this was quite funny was there was a thing that said Tottenham Hotspur have not commented on this. Why would they? <laughs> it's the stadium. Yeah, it's nothing really to do with the team, is it? No, like no. it's its own kind of entertainment venue situation. I don't know. I mean, I, hopefully all the parties get together in a Five room. Five shows in Tottenham out. though? Five shows by Beyonce there? And not one. Not, not one. Not yeah. one in Ireland. <laughs> yeah, back to that. The entirety of Ireland like... Lest we forget Sunderland. Sunderland taking a real kick in. Yeah, I don't quite get it. Mm. Um... Anyway, she look. still hasn't released any of the like visuals or stuff for like has there been a proper music video or anything for that album? I don't know. I'm time, sure it'll time be fine. To tie, Greg. Yeah. I'm sure it'll be fine. Um okay. Did you promise? I was asked our <laughs> promise day? <laughs> it'll be okay. Okay. Um our Destiny's Child is a supergroup. No. No. How would they be a supergroup? They <laughs> unknowns when they started. I don't know. <laughs> Um, see that clip? Can you back engineer a supergroup? I don't, I don't think so. What the, clip? The of, clip that was doing the rounds of uh, Destiny's Child at was it the Brit Awards? Doing the rounds on. Tell you. It was doing the rounds on Twitter about like a week ago. Okay, and it was very funny. Okay, can you I'll, tell us a bit more? I can try and find. It. <laughs> you guys talk about yourselves while I. Uh, the Brit Awards is a kind of like a fish out of water thing of them not understanding British culture and being new to the industry, or is um, it? It was. About, I think it was about the foot and mouth thing. It was. It was weird. Like it was <laughs> just like a BSE. Yeah. God, my like God, what a time to be alive! Hang on, I'm gonna try and find this. Okay. I'm sure it, uh, like Twitter will, will will have. I have it here. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna send it to Adam. Yeah, Adam's gonna magic it into the show. That's what I do, everybody. <laughs> so bear with me a second. Every wanted. An I promise it'll be worth it. I do here. <laughs> I promise it'll be worth it. You know, this is live podcasting. 
Also, yeah, I, I, in, in me sending this message to Adam now via WhatsApp, I noticed Adam just blanked my last message to him over a week ago. Did I? Yep. What did you say? Over a week ago. Hang so, on. I sent, let, let me just check. I sent you a screenshot last Friday saying that the only featured guest on Fall Out Boy's new album oh, I, is I, Ethan Hawke. I typed out a response to that. I must have hit send. Wow. <laughs> so that's like, you, to me. That's, just, <laughs> that's genuinely... Yeah, I'm actually kind of excited about that. Okay. So is he just doing a little spoken word kind of thing? I presume so. Yeah. Like Jim Carrey on the weekend kind of vibe. Just to mm. Maybe he's rocking out. That actually worked quite well, I must say. On Don FM. Yeah, I enjoyed Jim. It's not a bad album. Uh, yeah, I mean, his his poppiest thing probably, and I didn't. I don't think I quite had like his all timers. There's no there's no song on it where I'm like, this is top five pop weekend song. There were some nice transitions, I thought, from yes. songs to songs. Yes. It was done quite well. God, I'm really laying into the weekend. Yeah. Why? What's your problem? Uh, You're not going to like sexist today. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to the, you still listen to his music, though. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Here's, well, here we go. Here's Destiny's Child at the Brit Awards many years ago, right? Here we go. What do you think the government should be doing about the foot and mouth epidemic? We don't know anything about that. All we know is we just got it's here. A deadly virus that's decimating the nation's livestock. I, I, oh, I, oh, the oh, thing oh, about I, the four legged animals. Yeah, what? I watched that on the news and I feel really, really bad about We all do feel really Didn't they bad. kill like 40 million animals or something? Whoa. It's crazy. Any thoughts? Some tests should be run so this can stop. So hang on, Beyonce's taking the piss there, right? Isn't it? Like, 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 40 million animals? They probably did kill 40 million animals. <laughs> I don't know. It was an know. absolute, yeah. Well, let's talk about bands that didn't sell 40 million records, shall we? It's time for a top five, everybody. Okay. Top, well, maybe some of them did. Yeah, okay. some of mine did. <laughs> okay, right. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, I was thinking about that Simpsons clip, you know, Born to Runner Up. Yes. Do you remember the, the thing where, like, Lisa was like, it's everyone's second favorite person in the band or something. Mm. And they all boo. And Lisa's like, why would they come to our concert just to boo us? <laughs> um, Supergroups, Craig. Are they, are they good for the planet, do we think, the supergroup? Is, is this, like, a genuine question? Is I mean, this... it's re- recycling, really, isn't it? It's, you know, you're you kind go. of, yeah, it's sustainability in, in terms of musicianship. It's Keeping them in, 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 in their mansions. Yeah, but bits and bobs, if, yeah. A genuine question, though. Is a supergroup, like, is it the highest form of musical ego? Um, I mean Slash Vanity Project I don't think so Because there's still The effort to Do something collectively And you're saying I need other people There's a communication (laughs) there You're You know There's a camaraderie So no I think there's more Egotistical things You can do as a musician But I don't know If that's saying much I certainly think it gives it's it, like it opens the door for a lot of excess And what I found With a lot of these supergroups Is it usually comes from a place of like a lot of the members are usually like falling out with their own bands. So it's usually like the members of bands that are just like, oh, I quit. <laughs> like, and then they're all together in a room having just been like, it's my way or the highway. And then like you've got four of those people now trying to work together. Um, so it's either that or it's a cash grab. Yeah. Or it's like we're all geniuses and this, we're taking the art form to new heights. It's, yeah, it's definitely... Okay. It's it's it can be a nightmare. Well, we're start we're starting in the nightmare realm. Let's start with a nightmare because yeah. we start with worst. I'm on worst supergroups, and uh, at number five for me, well, we can thank Donald Trump for many things, <laughs> including inspiring this collective. <laughs> 
Exploding phones, killing trolls on a mission uh, I'm elated to get y'all elevated God remains God, yeah, and they hate it All you need, people, pledge allegiance to the evil Everything's changed, yet nothing's changed Mold has changed, everything looking strange, yeah Engineers got millennials living in fear Give a damn, evil can't stand, yeah When the people take a stand Unfuck the world. What a it's, name. Yeah, it's Unfuck the World. That's the track anyway. The act are Prophets of Rage. Prophets of Rage. Uh, American rap rock supergroup formed in 2016 because they were just so damn ticked off about Donald yeah. Trump and the whole How thing. How do you spell Prophets? Uh, it's actually P-R-O-P-H-E-T-S. But Prophets are employed. Given what I've just heard there, I can't imagine they made a laugh from that. Not really, no. So who's yeah. in this band, you ask? Well, it's the three members of Rage Against the Machine who aren't Zach Della Rocca, and yes. it's Chuck D of Public Enemy and rapper Be Real of Cypress Hill. Yeah. And also, sorry, DJ Lord of Public Enemy as well. So uh, it's just a blender of generic, really. Um, they went for three years, one EP, wow. one album. Uh, Be Real said... What we tried to do is make some rockin' music more than anything and make our messages on it. Things that are happening right now, relevant things that people are neglecting to talk about in their music, which is fine. Everyone has their lane and what they want to do, but we chose to be the voice of the people. Uh, There's a quote that's been uh, attributed to both Chuck D and Tom Morello. I'm not sure which one said it, but maybe it was a joint statement. Okay. They said, we're not a supergroup. We're an elite task force of, <laughs> of revolutionary musicians <laughs> determined to confront this mountain of election year bullshit and confront it head on with Marshall Stacks blazing. So yeah, I mean, there's a there's a public enemy song called Prophets of Rage from the excellent 1988 album it Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back. But like, I mean, I appreciate the sentiment and like, listen, there's no one here doing what they haven't done before, really. But it's just, you heard it there, it's just so flat. Like, the, there's nothing... That's the problem with so many of these supergroups, right? Where it's just like, oh, the component parts sound great. And mm. on paper, they should, like, work well together. But it just sounds like you just miss the alchemy of the original groups they were in. And there's something missing. And the, those riffs sound really kind of reheated. And Big like, time, yeah. Chuck D sounds like someone doing a Chuck D impression. You know, it's just... The video for this, by the way, which splices like a million and one different images of war and, you know, politicians and the usual stuff that you would expect to see. Who do you think directed that video? Oh, I have a guess. Oh, uh, Spike Lee? Nope. Michael Moore. Correct. Oh, Michael yes. Moore. Okay. <laughs> yes. So you're back in like Fahrenheit 9-11 territory. It yeah, just feels so yeah. reheated, as you say. Yeah. Um, when Rage Against Machine announced the reunion in 2020, uh, Chuck D said, Prophets Rage were done. We were merely keeping the seat warm for Zach Della Rocca. Oh, like, I mean, like, that's a bit harsh. But that's just like... You'd be waiting. You might as well just be like, yeah, this didn't mean anything, did it? <laughs> um, someone, on the, like, like someone on the Wikipedia page right, wrote this, and it looks like it's a quote, but it's, I think it's whoever edited the Wikipedia page. The main message of the group's music is that it's up to the people to fix the world's problems. On the album, it's most shown in the song "Unfuck the World," a statement to many individuals. Just like, uh, like Chuck D singing through "Unfuck the World." Chuck D singing through a megaphone filter. Like, I mean, there's a song called "Hail to the Chief." Yeah, it's about so on the nose. It's about how Donald Trump's silly antics are used as distractions to keep people's focus away from Mike Pence's deathly plans. And finally, Legalize Me is about the legalization of marijuana, something Be Real usually advocates yeah. for. What? Be Real's a smoker? It wasn't uh, terribly well received. The album wasn't. 
AV Club said it was train wreck bad, latter day limp biscuit bad, magnets how do they work bad. It wasn't quite that bad, I will say, in my opinion, but it was just. Oh, you're not going to launch a defense of latter day limp biscuit, no? I'm, I'm um, well, limp biscuit put out an album there. there. We go. Um, <laughs> dad stuff on it, right? Dad rock, yeah, dad vibes. Dad vibes, yeah. dad vibes. Um, that was funny. Dad stuff. <laughs> this <laughs> is very dad vibes. You're thinking of break stuff. Yeah, <laughs> dad stuff. Um, this is very dad vibes. The, this yeah. is like up there with the form of protest that was like getting killing in the name of to number one the charts is that kind of thing of like to beat the X you know, factor Facebook so activism and yeah, yeah, yeah Jesus it's just like Christ. Oh. no it's just it's just empty it's 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 microwavable uh, aggression I suppose and I guess finally um, someone for the enemy said this is not a subtle record but these are not subtle times so grab a Marshall stack put it through a fascist window and let's start the revolution now do you know how heavy they are. They're not putting that through anybody's window. You're not getting that back either, surely. <laughs> yeah, that's my Marshall number five. Stack. All right, let's um, inject some joy into proceedings. And I'm going to start with um, a collaboration of two musicians, which I said did, didn't count. But I've got an excuse because all of their main songs involved a third... A bit of a trouble, if you will, and um, <laughs> certainly <laughs> the of it, right? <laughs> it really is the year of it. Yeah. And um, yeah, magic happened, and uh, I just love this song. So, any excuse to get this clip played um, before I depart. Fairly terribly named Electronic. <laughs> but getting away with it, which is great. Um, it's Johnny Marr, it's Bernard Sumner, and it's Neil Tennant yeah, on um, yeah. uh, that and another couple of their kind of best stuff. The whole album is really good. They only released one album. They got together in the late 80s and it was at a weird time for both Bernard Sumner and Johnny Marr. So Johnny Marr was coming off the back of the Smiths, obviously, um, I think he'd kind of like been hitting the bottle after the band broke up and just like struggling with some of his own demons. He got into like session work. He got pretty hard into session work. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but, like, Sorry, also like, because we had a Papa Roach reference earlier on, we used to hit the bottle and he pissed myself. Because, like, oh, there's a hilariously bad Papa Roach song called Be Free. And it starts oh, off with him right. going like, woke up and I felt like shit. And he goes, he goes, I can't remember last night, I'm getting sick of it. And then he goes, I hit the bottle when I got off stage. And it's like, oh my God, oh my God, unbelievable, unbelievable. <laughs> Sorry, go on. You've been playing with Billy Bragg. You've been, yeah, you've been oh, wow. playing with Billy Bragg and Brian Ferry and um, the, the, um, but he said at a certain point he had to kind of, suck it up and go okay I need to put out my own records and like take a leap of faith and show the world that I can you know put out stuff that isn't just me hiding in the corner playing my guitar um, so Electronic was his new band his new super group did he name it I can't believe they're called Electronic I know I feel like that might have been a Bernard Sumner thing <laughs> it's um you know 
Yeah, you do miss Marcy for some things, like <laughs> naming stuff. <laughs> um, but yeah, Bernard Sumner, for his part, was just like, um, weirdly not getting on with his new order of bandmates. He was working on a solo album and um, apparently he was like using the new order rehearsal space, which was um, backed onto a graveyard. And he's like, well, this is terribly depressing. Me just sitting here alone looking out at a graveyard. I'm going to call Johnny. Um, they'd been friends for a couple of years. They didn't think they were going to get on initially. Um, Sumner said he initially thought Mar was a stuck up little twat. And That's Johnny's perception <laughs> of Bernard Sumner was a quote, post-industrial doom merchant who wore jackboots. Um, but this was, of course, the Bernard Sumner of the late 80s. He'd taken acid at this point. Um, New Order were coming up. <laughs> Everything was great. <laughs> and you can hear it in electronic. It's really joyous music. It's um, Although you do have like, I wonder was that the Johnny Marr influence of um, on Bernard Sumner in terms of the lyrics where it's just like suddenly he starts writing like Morrissey and like the opening line is I've been walking in the rain just to get wet on purpose it's like if you're Johnny Marr you're like really I've just had like five years of this kind of shit <laughs> but it works you and um, sense now though you know? yeah oh, they, I know I know the sense <laughs> but you know what I mean like, they started doing um, stuff together Neil Tennant heard through um uh, the factory records designer that they were working on stuff and he's like I want to get involved he like headed down to the studio immediately he helped him write that they wrote another couple of songs um, that are just tremendous as well the whole record works I think I always think of like Neil Tennant just those he's doing backing vocals but they're just so distinctly Pet Shop Boys that oh, yeah. it sounds like a Pet Shop Boys number well, to this me is the thing. I mean, like, it's, it's like, that like gift or curse type situation where it's like he's so fucking singular yeah yeah no matter but, what he does that's it but they sit so well on this very kind of new ordinary thing. Johnny's doing like different stuff as well. It's really, it's not very Smithsian at all, but it is this kind of um, meeting of, you know, 80s British indie gods and it not being indulgent at all. It's like a really taut record. It's joyous. It's fresh. I uh, got rave reviews. Um, and they didn't do anything else after it, but it was just like, let off some steam. It's great. If people haven't heard it, check it out. Um, and a, yeah, a rare example of it, like sounding probably better than the sum of its parts. Well, what's it the just, album called? Is it self-titled or is it's it? It's self-titled. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, with a name like that. Electronic. Yeah. What else do you need to say, do you know? See, uh, Blue Monday turned 40 this week, I think. Yeah. Um, I've been a contrarian before and been like, it wouldn't be in my top. 10 new it wouldn't be in your top 10 I don't know if it would be in my top 10 that's a fucking outrageous <laughs> thing to say wow it's tremendous but it's like it's so overplayed what's the point. best new order song um I would say the best or my favourite both why not um my favourite is Bizarre Love Triangle I think the best is probably Ceremony the, or Temptation the correct answer ladies and gentlemen is True Faith True Faith's great True Faith would be top 10 all right. I like Crystal from the later... Oh, Crystal's top yeah, five. Crystal's so good. That one of the best comeback songs. Check out that episode. Do we have it in there? I hope. I think it was one I of our comeback songs. I fucking hope we did, because yeah. if we yeah. didn't... All right, yeah. Or maybe it might have been late career highlights. Yeah, I hope it made it in either way. Yeah. New Order, not a bad band. Um, all right, here we go, right? So number four for me on the worst supergroups. Uh, we're going to play a game now of Can You Guess Who This Is? Okay. Let's go. Who's that? 
Um, it is. It's um. It's busted. Mick busted. It's Mick yeah, busted. Yeah, McFly and Busted's team up. Yeah, the song Air Guitar by Scamps by Mick Busted. It was their 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 debut single. So it's Tom Fletcher, Danny Jones, Dougie Pointer, Harry Judd of McFly, and linking up with James Bourne, Matt Willis, and oh, that's it from Busted <laughs> because Charlie Simpson said Ad no, sense. thank yeah, you, yeah. <laughs> which I respect the hell out of him for. I have to say. Yeah, uh, and you like a lot of his um, fight, fight star, star work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, and, and some of his solo stuff. Now, it's a lot of it is watered down Bonnie Iver, but I, I like him. I think he's got a bit of a presence about him. Yeah. And he recently apparently won The Masked Singer on whatever that... The Masked Singer, that, that is that show. So, oh, fair yeah. play I, to him. My first exposure to The Masked Singer was um, Justin Hawkins' appearance on it. Okay. It's where he was talking about, like, his YouTube channel's very good. We've talked about that before. Um, but he was uh, very, very good on it to the point where, like, Rita Ora was clearly, like, enamoured with him and just like really fancied him and was get, kept guessing who it was and then at the very end it's revealed to be Justin Hawkins and you can see her just be like oh and I'm like <laughs> yeah. Justin Hawkins is a I handsome man I hope you're not man. suggesting that Rita Ora is superficial in any way are you? Oh, Justin Hawkins is handsome and, to and me and her entire but career know. is something of a psyop now I mean we're, we're... <laughs> psyop <laughs> what a conspiracy theory I love it <laughs> so anyway here's the thing right Yeah, uh, McFly did some 10th anniversary gigs at the Royal Albert Hall you had to be there and Full dur- orchestra during the, probably during those shows uh, they brought on the two busted lads who aren't Charlie Simpson uh, to do Mick Busted and then they were like why don't we just do this you know for like a cash grab because that's what this is right uh, they did they announced 11 gigs as Mick Busted sold them out then upgraded it to 34 shows and then they like, did some touring then they came to Dublin possibly I wasn't there um, Air Guitar number 12 in the UK singles chart not great you know no Clearly trying to recapture that um, cheekiness, mm-hmm. um, subversiveness uh, in the lyrics and stuff, but it's just a bit lame. Debut album uh, peaked at number nine in the UK charts. Again, not not great. You know, you wanted you wanted number one there. You know, like you know, Busted were pretty good for what they were. McFly, I always thought were just crap, weren't they? Yeah, like it just I think feels that's like fair. Busted had that good album that we like on this podcast. Well, yeah. this is the thing. I mean, like once Charlie Simpson said, "Let's get back together, lads," that was the end of McBusted. Really, I mean, like the thing about it, like this is a fish in a barrel pick. I appreciate that, but I will say, it's just such nothing. You know, there's just it's so desperate and like fuck. You know, our These are demos from 15 years but ago. But like our yeah. 15 minutes of fame are gone. How do we? Why don't we just cross pollinate? Yeah, that'll work. And then I guess gig wise, they sold out some shows and people were happy to hear the hits. But like, yeah, I mean, like I was never a busted guy, thankfully, <laughs> until that Night Driver album, which isn't bad. And of course, Cullum and I saw them on that tour, Jedward in the boxes. It was like that time when I saw Young Fathers and Tilda Swinton was up there, you know? Um, and Michael Shannon, of course, very much the Jedward of the film world. Um, they're both in Vanilla Sky, oh, by the both way. Both of Jedward. They're both in Vanilla Sky, not Jedward. Uh, Michael Shannon and Tilda Swinton are both in Vanilla Sky. It's Tom Cruise film Vanilla Sky. I wonder if they're reminiscing on um, sharing the screen together in 2001, in which Michael Shannon plays a security guard with no dialogue whatsoever at the very end. Probably, yeah. It's probably all they could talk about. I'd imagine so, yeah. Or not talk about <laughs> Hey. Um, so, yeah, this was just a very short lived, cynical, you know, like more cynical than McFly's original incarnation. Uh, harmless, I suppose, but also just like nothing, like just yeah. nothing. Like it's for the fans, do you know, that's what it was. It was for the fans to well, milk the fans. Yeah, yeah, exactly. To yeah. milk the pocket money of impressionable young British teenage girls. <laughs> We're teenage girls, yeah, teenage <laughs> yeah. girls. Really? Well, McFly's heyday was women what? in their thirties. <laughs> was McFly's heyday like two thousand five ish? I guess. Yeah, yeah, about then. Can you name a McFly song? 
uh, five colors in her colors hair. In her oh, hair. that's them. The that is one. them. Yeah, they yeah. covered that James Taylor. You've got a friend as well. Remember that? And the the, the one that played next version all the time when I was there, which was obviously, and I fucking hated it. I don't know that one. Cause obviously oh. she's out of my league. Oh God, I remember it now. Yeah, she's wasting my time or something. Yeah, because she'll never be mine. Dreadful, dreadful, yeah. dreadful stuff. I mean, yeah, busted at least year, year three thousand. Busted at least had a really, uh, <laughs> yeah. Busted at least had a year, year three thousand, and they also had a really misogynistic song in the form of "Who's David." They yeah. were teenage boys. <laughs> it's a different time. Three AM is a genuinely great song, and I like Charlie Simpson. So, and I'm glad, I'm glad <laughs> that he didn't stain his career with this <laughs> muck. Yeah, fair play. Uh, um, what you got? Let's go from. Um, pop punk to prog rock and um, <laughs> probably the biggest surprise, prog surprise, rock great. punchline <laughs> these guys were like shorthand for like everything that um, punk rock was railing against um, total excess to the point of just like ridiculousness and I love them for it I think they encapsulate everything that's awfully brilliant about supergroups Um this is an act that when they first performed live in 1970 at the Isle of Wight, the aforementioned John Peel, and I don't know if we're taking what he says as gospel anymore, but he said it was a waste of talent and electricity. And I <laughs> love this song. <laughs> Here we go. Like a song Out of tune and out of time It's Emerson, Lake and Palmer with Sailor <laughs> V there. Um, I had to include them because um, fond memories of listening to them growing up because my dad was banging into them. But like, I've got 20% fond memories and then the other 80% is being like, will you ever turn this relentless shite off? Because I'd say 80% of their records are, they're all like triple albums and there are most of the tracks are like 20 minutes long I think one of the first numbers they did when they got together um, was a, a kind of orchestral rock reinterpretation of um, a march from Tchaikovsky's uh, The Nutcracker which was called The Nut Rocker unironically <laughs> um, it's Keith Emerson um, sad, sadly departed now he, he was in The Nice um, this virtuoso uh, keyboard player who was a big star at the time uh, Greg Lake who did all their kind of uh, good pop songs like that one <laughs> just really good from King Crimson uh, a massive talent and Carl Palmer who's a, a brilliant drummer um, the sole one kind of still with us do you remember who, who sorry was Atomic Rooster yeah Is that <laughs> remember actual... Atomic Rooster right <laughs> yeah his band were Atomic I, I, Rooster I wish this podcast would stop talking about Atomic Rooster <laughs> it's never can't 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 go how an to dismantle an Atomic Rooster sure yeah. uh, by Atomic Kitten so here's the thing right remember years ago there was that Drowned in Sound thread on, like on their forum and it was some guy talking about like bringing a girl home from a club or something. Don't worry, this doesn't go to a horrible dark place or anything. Yeah. But he was saying that he brought this girl home and she was like really drunk. 
and he's like, he's like, he's like, oh, he's like, he's like, well, you know, we're downstairs and we're kissing, and, and she's like, let's go upstairs, and I'm like, oh, let's let's go upstairs, let, let's bloody go upstairs, like, you know? and then, like, upstairs, and then, like, and then he's like, he's like, so we go into my room, and, and then and then he goes, he goes, and she sticks on like a King Crimson like album or something, sounds fucking perfect. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> She sticks on a King Crimson album on like his laptop on YouTube or something, and then it goes. But then she goes to my record collection and she finds a Led Zeppelin CD, and she sticks on the Led Zeppelin CD without turning off the King Crimson. And he's like, King Crimson and Led Zepp? That's too much music. <laughs> <laughs> Even King Crimson by itself, that's a lot. To I be think she ends up throwing up, and he like sleeps on the floor on his own or something. Oh but like, but I just remember vividly like the idea of King Crimson and Led Zeppelin <laughs> dueling it out. Because <laughs> like, she, like, she was like, she was like, leave them both on or something and he's just like what the fuck so it wasn't quite by accident it no, was something it was she was experimenting with she was playing with form Craig yeah was she Wayne Coyne <laughs> remember Flaming Lips had that thing where they released an album where you had to play seven different CDs simultaneously to get the full effect they've done so many of those stunts like it's like here's a fucking USB embedded in a Mayan skull that I've buried in the Arctic go get it yeah and I'm like, you know what, man? I'd rather be listening to King Crimson and Led Zepp. Well, this is the thing. I mean, how <laughs> you feel about time. <laughs> those kind of flaming lips shenanigans and that kind of simultaneous love and Kim, King Crimson, Led Zeppelin thing is how you're going to feel about Emerson, Lake and Palmer. So it's either extremely tiresome or you're kind of like, do you know what? I admire the nerdiness. <laughs> Just kind of like sticking to the bit. Like they were all in on this. They called themselves Emerson, Lake and Palmer because apparently Keith Emerson was like the big gun at the time and they're like, well, we don't want to just be seen as like, you know, Keith Emerson and some other guys. They should have just come up with a, a name though, surely, because he's still got top billing. It's still Emerson, Lake and Palmer. <laughs> There's, um, a, I think, sadly apocryphal story that they were initially going to have Jimi Hendrix in the band and they were going to be called H-E-L-P, which would have been brilliant. That's pretty good. But yeah. he died like a week later, sadly. Um, they had auditioned um, Jimi Hendrix experienced drummer um, Mitch Mitchell um, but yeah he ended up it ended up being Kyle Palmer um, and I think Keith Emerson said something like I'm not sure if Jimmy would have worked out anyway he just um, good guitarist but he, he needed to rein it in a bit <laughs> so these are the kind of people you're talking about they would go on tour simmer down Hendrix <laughs> they sold something like they were absolutely massive. So they had these crazy concept records, uh, one of which I think Tarkas featured um, this tank-like armadillo that was taking over the world in some dystopian kind of nightmarish narrative that stretched across like three different records. Um, and they, yeah, they would go on tour with like full orchestras. Um, there's some great here, stuff here of like Keith Emerson like would bring his full-time karate instructor on tour with them. Um, they'd like kind of drink cognac and cocaine and try to swim across the Pacific. It was the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> Bookaroo. Just sum it all up. And like, yeah, I'm kind of glad they were around. Um, they definitely... Probably as much because they became like everything that was reviled about prog rock, but I think they are one of those supergroups where you think of them as a supergroup more than you do the individual members. So they have that going for them. And they actually have a lot of very, very good songs. They actually were brilliant musicians. And I kind of think actually looking back on it all, who were the real sellouts, you know? Was it like, like these guys who were just... The great British you know, public. Or virtuoso <laughs> musicians doing ridiculous things and not compromising. And, you know, just like thinking they were like these classical maestros and still somehow selling records are like, 
Johnny Rotten doing like butter commercials. I think in the end, actually, prog rock was probably the more uncompromising. So Can I take a hit of that bong there? Yeah. <laughs> sure. Hang on, uh, did they ever like retort to the, because it is a good, it's a good witticism of saying that they're a waste of electricity. Do they ever fire back at John Peel over that one? I think the Were they f- like, you 50 married million. a 15 year old. Yeah, 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 probably. <laughs> well, I didn't do too much digging into the individual band members. Like, there was a lot of that going on in the 70s, so maybe they weren't ones to say. Um, well, I'm, I'm glad <laughs> you didn't, because this is about the collective. It's not about the individual, as we know. Yeah, but um, yeah, fond um, place in my heart. And I think they really represent a lot of those late 60s, early 70s supergroup bands that I don't love a lot of. Your Creams, your Derek and the Dominoes, most of which, you know, include a Clapton. This is Clapton Free, so. Clapton Free is how I want to be. (laughs) So here's the thing, right? Um, My number three, back in the worst. I feel a little bit bad for this one. I mean, I say worst. It's not exactly a disaster, but it's a real case of like, yeah, beyond this, you don't really got nothing, do you? And even then, so here's my number three. It's Velvet Revolver, everybody. It's Slither, their lead single, I think. And yeah. I guess their best known track. They also got the song called, was it Fall to Pieces, which isn't very good. Uh, Scott Wayland, who we mentioned last week, of course, formerly of Stone Temple Pilots, teaming up here with Slash, Duff McKagan and Matt Sorum, all of Guns N' Roses. And Dave Kushner, formerly of Wasted Youth. Uh, I think he was with Jane's Addiction for a bit as well, possibly. Um, yeah, like they formed 2002 and it felt like you know, the hard rock counter to Audio Slave, I guess, possibly, in that kind of weird world. They were <laughs> yeah. around for six years, two albums. Was like a counter needed? It's that kind of thing. <laughs> of like, isn't it? Answer to a question yeah. no one asked. Yeah, 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 probably. I mean, they did well. Like, Contraband was the was the debut album in 2004, and it got positive reviews for the most part. But, like, I think people were just still like, well, it's just Scott Wayland and Guns N' Roses, and it doesn't... I don't know if I feel much of a connection here yeah that's my problem with a lot of these kind of bands it's just like it felt a bit artificial yeah perfunctory yeah and like they have nothing else to do or something like they did again they won a Grammy for hard work performance they toured the first album I think for like 19 fucking months like like they put their back into it of course drugs got involved and ruined it because that's what you would expect uh, I suppose from a hard rocking super group Um, yeah it just didn't really in my opinion it the, the songs aren't here. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. I like Slither. It's a fun track, but you're also kind of like, oh yeah, remember that? I haven't heard for like 10 years and you're like, oh yeah, remember that? Like, it's not memorable. Like, like there's, it's not in the canon of like, that's a great fucking tune, man. I mean, again, you go onto YouTube and people are like, why don't they make music like this anymore? Type thing, but... It's very meat and potatoes. Yeah, yeah, very much so. I think it's kind of the flip side of the Emerson, Lake and Palmer thing where with that you've got these kind of three egos who are all pushing each other and it's like all excess and like throwing themselves into music. I feel like with a project like this, it's all a bit, you know, middle-aged guys 
playing kind of nicey-nicey and probably not like saying no to each other's bad ideas mm. and just it's it's a bit too pally and uninspired. Well, while they were on tour for that first album, uh, it says here, uh, the band members with the exception of Kushner began to relapse on alcohol and oh, drugs. Jesus. So all of them basically, almost. Though they managed to get clean in time for the recording of their new album, Slash felt that the band lost Scott Wayland and thought that the overall spirit was declining at that point. Um, what else we got here? They had followed up on, I think the first album, they initially worked with Rick Rubin, oh. but due to his methods, such as having a crew do the work and engineering while only popping in occasionally, <laughs> and due to go. the fact that he was working with other bands simultaneously, they decided against continuing with Rick Rubin. Adam? Let me tell you, that's their problem, not his. <laughs> you know what you're getting into. You know what you're getting into. You go to Shangri-La, you know exactly what you're getting into. They clearly... When you go to Shangri-La, they, you know exactly what you're getting into. They got cold feet. That's their issue. That's not Rick Rubin's issue. At the suggestion of Scott Wayland, Velvet Revolver began working with Brendan O'Brien, long-term Pearl Jam producer. Yeah. Slash said that he brought more than just discipline to the equation. Fucking shots fired there at your boy, Adam. He brought a musicality that stems from the fact that he plays guitar, bass, and drums. And any well, there you go. There's a shots fired at Rick Rubin, but he doesn't play any instruments. And any given, knew that. And any given that. moment, he could play along, and it really helped the process. Well, yeah, that's the right producer for that band, though, 100%. Brendan O'Brien is, like, the guy. Yeah. yeah, Scott Whelan felt that the band were just kind of biding their time until they went back to Guns N' Roses. He eventually left the band, and they, they started looking for a new singer. Um, they auditioned loads of people, but, like... Couldn't. Was one of the Axel Rose by any chance? Uh, no, surprisingly enough, not. Uh, that, but like, Axel was an audition. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. Maybe for ACDC actually. <laughs> <laughs> there was yeah, there was talk of Miles Kennedy, Lenny Kravitz, Chester Bennington, and various other people. But it just in the end, they just couldn't get anybody. It seems they couldn't get anybody. <laughs> like it just says that they the, didn't want to do it. Surprise, surprise! Like, yeah. like they, yeah, they, they didn't, they, they didn't sell anybody, and they were just like, fuck it, you know. I think we're done. Do you know, just this past week, I heard something fascinating about Duff McKagan. I swear to God, I've heard that's like flashback 10 years ago. Hot press office, Craig's at the back on the phone doing the rock report on Radio Nova. I would expect to hear that as I walk out the back to well, get Marty, something. Well, uh, Marty, <laughs> Duff McKagan is in the. Yeah. <laughs> I heard something fascinating about him because usually his story is like, you know, his tremendous recovery from drinking drugs yeah, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and I did he have commend the, it to be fair? Yeah, ex- exploding was it his pancreas or something? He had, he had an insane recovery anyway, but he's also. Um, um, a very wise investor, apparently. Right? <laughs> okay. He's worth like as much as like a Slash or an Axl Rose. And the reason is... NFTs. <laughs> in the early 90s, McKagan decided to take $100,000 and invest in the stock market for the first time. He chose three Seattle companies since that's where he grew up. The stocks he chose were Starbucks, Amazon and Microsoft. <laughs> the early 90s. Oh <laughs> Fucking insane. God knows what he's worth. Like. Oh, my is, God. Yeah. oh my God. Yeah. Warren Buffett <laughs> levels of success. Uh, Warren Duffett. Duff. <laughs> Warren Duffett. Duff, if, if you're listening, Duff, uh, disregard every criticism I threw you away there. Big fan. Uh, one last thing before we get off Velvet Revolver. Um, the New York Post said about the second album, I think, or maybe the first one. Uh, second one, I think. Um, Slash's guitarists throughout the record are as aggressive as a caged cat. I don't know if that's a dig. Because if a caged... If, if a, is that a compliment or is that I think not? in the hard rock world, that's a compliment, I would say. Right? You want your riffs to be like a caged cat. So a caged cat, which which you would think maybe docile, but I guess like... I guess if they're caged, they're pissed off that they're caged. Like, I don't... Like, it's... 
Yeah, the cage thing is kind of throwing me. I would have, yeah, I immediately this tie it to like a cat that's backed into a corner that's like about to attack. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is Schrodinger's caged cat. <laughs> yeah. I don't like it. Yeah. I will say, I don't think Elvarolver are an offensive entity. It just didn't really, it just, it just never really heated up, if you will. Yeah, that's fair. Um, okay, for my number three, we're bringing things right up to date with an act where I'm actually probably more um, interested in their material than the individual's material, I would say. Here we go. Genius album out at the end of the month. That's mm-hmm. uh, $20. It's Julianne Baker, Phoebe Bridgers, and Lucy Dacus. And uh, I like them all individually. No, you I don't. just. That's a lie. I think Lucy Dacus's last album is tremendous. Yes, you do? Yes, I do. Julianne Baker, I like her work, but I'm not, I don't know a huge amount of it. That sounds accurate and to me. And Phoebe Bridgers, I can take in small doses. <laughs> <laughs> I love Kyoto. <laughs> I think she's a very um, clever uh, songwriter. I do maintain, though, that melodically she strays into the same territory quite often. So over the course of, say, Punisher, I'm just like... These ideas, like these melodic ideas, just and as sound a, a human bit being tiresome. and a person, oh well, the whole promo thing. She vexes you. Uh, does she? You me said, particularly. In we terms said before of, that you don't like her. I think you might be thinking of Zara. Hedeman. No, no, no. Zara Hedeman hates her. The, Craig doesn't hate her. Recently, I took a dislike to her because she came out against cats. That was. Yeah, I feel like before that, though, you, you did say that you, you kind of had enough of the whole shtick. Well, I kind of took David Crosby's side about the, the whole... Yeah. She killed him. <laughs> to the cross. Yeah, she, and she's coming for me next. <laughs> really like Boy Genius. Love the work, Phoebe. Yeah, she's already broken the heart of one handsome Irish man. Oh, you know. uh, yeah, yeah. That's and, very and true. And an entire nation. Sure. Yeah. But um, I've got to say, Boy Genius are a very rare thing where they're all definitely having a moment. They're big draws. Yeah. Um, a lot of talent there. But there's kind of like a, there's an alchemy between them. Yeah. Um, when I've seen them perform live, not in person, but like they've done Tiny Desks and stuff, I'm like, oh yeah, this just feels natural. Um, How I did think this uh, trio come together, Craig? Very unnaturally where they were booked on the same tour together, I think. And it was probably a question of like, oh, demographics are overlapping and it makes sense to kind of get these people on the road. But then they met each other and they instantly became friends. And you would say probably as songwriters, they seem quite singular. So it's remarkable that this kind of process would work for them because like they're, you know, um, the songs are quite worthy and not worthy, but wordy. Um and lyrically kind of dense in that way. Uh, there's a lot of ideas going on. It could be a lot. Um, but yeah, they just kind of pinball really well uh, off each other. I'm looking forward to the record. I Me think that too, yeah. song is great. This is one of my tracks of the year. It's brilliant. You can get on my Rolling 2023 playlist if you subscribe to patreon.com slash noencore. Yeah. I'll put it out again in next week's preview. And um, yeah, that climax of the song is brilliant. Just yeah, it's really good, yeah. yeah, give me $20. I presume um, that is Big Phoebe's doing the... It's Yar- um, the Yarling at the end, yeah? Yeah, it is actually Yarl, yeah. It's po- post-Yarl? It's post-Yarl. New Yarl. Yeah. No, no, it's post-Yarl. 
It's post Jarl core. Prog Jarl. No, no Jarl wave. Did you enjoy them doing the Rolling Stone shoot where they dressed up like Nirvana? That I time? did actually. It was kind of cool. Is it not a bit precious? Is it not a bit? You it know, is, look but at I kind of like that. And like they, they also. You know the whole name of like boy genius. That's another thing. Why why can't girl band be called girl band anymore? <laughs> but we've got this boy genius thing going on. Is that not the same thing? But also, they, I ask on International Women's Day. Yeah, yeah, you do ask on International Women's Day. I think it's a good name. Um, I don't think it's a bad name. Uh, I thought girl band was a great name as well. Miss so I think I wish we had both. Yeah. But um, I think they kind of protest too much in terms of they are constantly talking about like. Um, their influences being very classic rock and they're clearly fans of the people they're kind of slightly trying to undercut and slag off and stuff and I think that's what rock music should be it should be too enthralled to undercut and slag off would you suggest well there's a track on the new album if I can find my notes where I haven't actually I'm not sure if I've heard the song but I did like the lyric and the song is called Leonard Cohn and I think it was inspired initially by Leonard Cohn because they got talking about um Great songs where there's no chorus, which is a good top five idea. Yeah. And they're like, oh yeah, Leonard Cohen was brilliant at that and we should do one. So they did a song. Uh, I think there's a couple of songs on the album that are like that. But there's a line where they mention, um, you know, that kind of thing of like, there's a crack of light and everything. I'll actually try and find, see if I can find the... Um, just give me a minute and I'll see if I can find that. Have you got anything interesting to say, it's Dave? Great about? podcasting. <laughs> I've said, I, I think I've said all the interesting things I've, I've got to say. For Vamp, for God's sake, Dave. <laughs> Vamp. <laughs> I the Vamps a supergroup? Yes or no? I think they play. I think the Vamps played support to McBusted of all things. I would not be surprised. I saw like I saw like uh, details of a McBusted gig that apparently had Backstreet Boys in support, and I'm like, well, surely in support, surely not. It must have been some kind of weird festival one day or thing. But I'm like, that couldn't possibly be, could it? Where? I presume. What festival in the world? <laughs> I think it was like something in Hyde Park. I mean, like, I could be wrong here, but I, I do find that quite baffling. If that true, is, that's that's shocking. Yeah, absolutely. Backstreet Boys genius. So, hey. yeah, hey. I've got the lyric. I've got the lyric. Thank God. <laughs> Leonard Cohen once said, there's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. And I'm not an old man having an existential crisis in a Buddhist monastery writing horny poetry. But I agree. Who which I that? think which one sums them up. Um, I'm not sure. I think that was a Lucy Dacus line. Okay. Um, Regardless, that's pretty fucking clever. Like, it's great. But it's yeah. like they clearly are drawing on great influences and um, undercutting it, which I think, yeah, music should do. I like the subversiveness. I I think I know it's you know marketing heavy and they're clever, clever about it. But and there's lots of obviously need to like, be in this. And uh, sorry, not to cut across. No, 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 no please do. I do to you all the time. I was going to say, you know, if I was a fan of one or all of these artists when I was like a teenager, or if I was just getting into music, this would be the most exciting thing in the world. It's like, a big you know deal. What I mean? It's yeah. it's great. Like I love that. Kind no, of it's stuff. a big deal. I mean, like, yeah, there's lots of you know mother, mother, mother bullshit on Twitter, but like you know, yeah. it's just overreacting to anything that people are stands of, and that's fine. But this this is a project that's been talked about for quite some time. And there was even like, will it ever happen? Will they ever put an album together? I think it's been five years since EP, yeah, which is very good as well. Yeah, I like the tracks I've heard so far. I'm looking forward to the album. And yeah, I think this is a, a solid choice. Thank you. I think what's really good about Boy Genius is the fact that they don't have to do it. And because they don't yeah. have to do it and there's no pressure on them to do it, like from within the camp, that the output is going to be... 10 times better so I'd say this record yeah. will be a very very good record well I mean too. how about we go from that to a supergroup that never released a record oh. <laughs> and they were in fact the very first uh, act I thought of they probably should be number one but I think number one slightly funnier okay. this is funny though um, so this is uh, there was a television show in 2006 on VH1 oh and, right, it was, yeah. and it was called supergroup yeah 
and it was in which uh, these people were tasked with going into a mansion together, which has a studio, and they wouldn't know who else has been chosen for this, allegedly. You know, they all meet each other at the time and they're told you got 12 days, 12 days to form a supergroup. I watched the show Did the you watch? So, you know, I wish, I wish you didn't because I wish you didn't know who was coming. So, you're going to hear a clip now because um, there's kind of no officially recorded music with this act because that's how good they were. Uh, this is them. This is them. They don't need it. Uh, this is them finishing up a rock show that they performed. And uh, you're going to hear the front man and then introducing everyone. And then at the end, you're going to hear a member of the band introduce him. So take it away. the talent on the stage of Democracy. That's something that never comes around in a lifetime. I'm absolutely blown away by the talent of these guys and just in a genre that I just wasn't that familiar with personally. Days. Two minutes of the finest reality television of 2006 right there. So There's an awful lot to take in. There it? is an awful lot to take in. So in summary, what you heard there was the band are called... I forgot the band name. <laughs> so good. Yeah, you heard it there. You, you, you may have done, done, done a double take. The band are in fact called Damocracy. Damocracy. Damocracy of Sebastian Bach. Damocracy. <laughs> and yes, uh, Sebastian Bach is the singer. You've also got Ted Nugent... Yes. Noted scumbag Ted Nugent. Terrible, Terrible Ted. Terrible Ted. Yeah. As you heard there, Scott Ian, formerly of Anthrax, Evan Seinfeld of Biohazard, and, and a porn director, and the television show Oz, which he was in for six seasons, <laughs> and Jason, not John Bonham on drums. So there yeah. you go. Um, those those um, band member introductions were very like <laughs> on bass Derek Smalls he wrote this like it got very David St. Hobbins and Spinal Tap like. <laughs> there were seven episodes and uh, yeah they're in Las Vegas and it's just it's it's one like you've seen it I've seen it as well I watched it probably at the time and I was like this there's something really uncomfortable about this show yeah even the way it's filmed like it's all close ups and Dutch angles and just like rubbish quick cuts and you heard some of the goofy music there at the end not not even their own goofy music but just the wow wow and it's like I mean it's so clearly fake bullshit and like it's akin to also maybe MTV you know Brett Michaels Rock of Love yeah did you watch that 
No, I didn't. That's like, a hell of a show. Like, oh, really? Oh, Should I go God. back? <laughs> yeah, Brett Michaels trying to find love. Rock of love. <laughs> Unbelievable stuff. Um, Democracy, yeah. So um, they never released an album, <laughs> which is not a great start for a supergroup. Um, they dubbed the band Democracy, suggested by Sebastian Bach. Yeah. After hearing Scott Ian say, quote, a goddamn democracy, but we can't use goddamn in response to their inability to come up with a band name everyone liked. I don't know, fucking, I don't know. Uh, Sebastian, Sebastian Bach, Bach was very much the brains of the operation. Yeah, I think that he, says everything. He also suggested Fist in block <laughs> capitals, um, saying it meant the five of them coming together like fingers forming a fist. Oh, I remember that. It's all rushing back to me now. Yeah. He was good quality, though, and he seems... Sebastian Bach. Yeah, and I think I've seen him on Twitter a little bit. Like, he seems like a kind of harmless, well, quite, <sighs> like... Um, I don't want to say airheaded, but like he's that classic, I know what you mean. cliched front man. Like <laughs> he he's, he ticks all the stereotypical boxes of like yeah, he metal looks like, front man. He looks like if Shawn Michaels was a rock man instead of a wrestler type yeah. kind of guy. <laughs> um, another name that was suggested was Raw Dog. <laughs> <laughs> that was going to be what this podcast was initially called which was then flipped around to God War by Evan Seinfeld to which Sebastian Bach said Sebastian Bach said he didn't want a band name that he quote had to think about oh he's so good so good Ted Nugent suggested the name Hunting Deer with a Bow and Arrow oh my god yeah another name that was suggested you by Sebastian Bach you can't make Sebastian Bach also suggested the name Savage Animal but no one liked it. Back I'm surprised liked Ted it. wasn't on board with that. Back, Sebastian Bach liked it because one, it rolled off the tongue and because rock and roll is a, a savage, savage animal. animal. Uh, became one of the more popular names. It became associated with the show. <laughs> People laughed at it despite Bach's ardent enthusiasm for the name. It became a popular subject of parody on the internet. That's fucking wonderful. Um, <laughs> and one initially proposed name was Celebutard. A name oh, suggested wow. by Sebastian Bach. The name was quickly laughed away. <laughs> so yeah, nothing really happened for these guys. It was clearly a stunt that didn't work, and I don't really know. I mean, like, I just think the fact that they that they just didn't do anything. No album. I would say w- the minute the cameras went off, they all just walked in different <laughs> directions, got in different limos, and never spoke again. Well, it said they didn't. Really, it said they disbanded in 2010, which is four really? years after the show. Yeah, Ted Nugent said that he actually liked it and wanted to work on it, but he said he said uh, Sebastian Bach's a goofball. He's like, I love him, but he's a goofball. Uh, and who fucking cares what Ted Nugent thinks? The last thing I'll say about Sebastian Bach is. I do remember him saying once, he was like, the name Skid Row doesn't come along more than once oh, in Oh yeah, a I remember that clip as well, yeah. Which so is funny. Good. I'm sure the Irish members of the yeah. band Skid Row yeah. Yeah. <laughs> found that interesting. But I also do remember seeing him on one of those, like, you know, countdown shows on VH1 where it's like, you know, the 100 greatest whatever the fuck. And Sebastian Bach is one of the talking heads. And again, you know, this man doesn't leave his bedroom unless he's got the eyeshadow on yeah. and, you know, the Ryan studded jacket or whatever the fuck. He's very know, pretty man in his day. Yeah, sure. Um, but he's talking about he had some kind of feud with Trent Reznor or something. Oh, really? Or maybe Nia Snell's had a song in the list or whatever it was, but he basically takes digs at Trent Reznor, who isn't, of course, a talking head for the show. And I remember this infamous thing when Sebastian Bach goes, Hey, Trent, rock one. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking what? about? <laughs> yeah, Trent Reznor hasn't really gone on to do much, so... Rock one. <laughs> Trent Reznor not rock either as well, like... I mean... Supergroup, like like the whole like you gotta release something, you know? Yeah. Like what the fuck? And they did like their gig that they played for the end of the show. They're all it's all covers. It's all covers, yeah. They did um catch cat scratch cat fever, scratch believe, fever. And uh, Sebastian Bach had a little banter about like you know that feeling when you've you've got a pee but it, it's all it's mad painful. 
That's Couch Crunch Fever. And they're all like, oh. I'm like, what the hell is this? Jesus. Yeah, was... Their big single that they didn't even release or record properly was going to be called Take It Back. And there is hilarious fan footage of them playing somewhere. And it's like, uh, he's like, this is our, this stage is our property. We're going to take it back. And I'm like, what? Like, what? If it's yeah. your property, well, then. Shouldn't have to take it back. if it makes sense. Uh, a good it, show, though. It's probably on YouTube. Everyone should watch it. Oh, yeah. It. All seven episodes are on YouTube in, like, bizarre aspect ratio. Or, <laughs> so, you know, go looking for it. Uh, total mood shift here. Um, let's go immaculate, um, gloomy, cerebral. Uh, bad band name, though. Here we go. And the Queen, I'm sure you guessed this was going to appear on this list. After getting a mention last week. Yeah, I did, and then I forgot about it, so yes. Um, that debut might be one of my favourite ever albums. Um, and I, yeah, I mean, bad band name. Actually, now I think about it, it's not too, it's not too terrible. 2007? 2007. Yeah, okay. And initially, actually, they were like, well, the band doesn't actually have a name. And it's not <laughs> a super group. It's just a collection of artists working together. And the, the project, or like the recorded work, is called The Good, The Bad, and The Queen. It is, um, of course, Damon Albarn, Paul Simonon on bass, uh, picking up a bass for the first time in... Uh, 15, 20 years, something like that. Like, he just wasn't interested in music. Um, a big painter, apparently, was working on his art. And um, Damon Albarn was like, listen, I need you, mate. I need you. I need some of those stalking, uh, gloomy, London-y kind of bass lines. Um, and he works so well in this record. Like, it's a very much a, a Paul Simonon record. Um, just that kind of great movement but kind of a, a stalking sense of dread Tony Allen on drums maybe greatest drummer of all time and I love the fact that on a, a lot of the tracks Damon Albarn is barely using them <laughs> it's just like <laughs> you see them play live and Tony's just kind of sitting there and like tapping on a cymbal sometimes and you're like you've got Tony Allen and you're like I don't think this song <laughs> really requires any percussion work it's just like only Damon Albarn would do that but uh, Tony Allen seemed very happy with it and the second album which I don't think is quite as great but is still pretty great Maryland was all written around um, Tony's drum work um, so it's a less kind of contemplative um, melancholic affair and there's a bit more energy to it. What was um, the point of this band? Because I remember like reading stuff like it was like very informed by Damon Albarn travelling the world, right? It was meant to be like, you know... Yeah, initially he was working on a solo record and he had sketches of songs. He was feeling disillusioned with politics and Britain and yeah, he wanted to... Um, travel kind of he'd been in Mali he'd reco recorded that Mali music album and he wanted to go back there um, he started collaborating with Tony and the work that they were doing just kind of went in a different direction and he started kind of writing a lot about London and I guess he kind of saw like maybe Brexit coming like in the the far off distance and he was just like oh god I just I don't like the place this country is going and um so Paul Simonon seemed like the guy to get like it's very feels of a lineage with um London calling and that kind of stuff 
Uh, Simon Tong, by the way, is the guitarist on the record as well. Um, he was previously in The Verve and like, um, I don't know, maybe a bit of a steady Eddie to quote Graham Soonis. Um, but yeah, he adds quite a bit to the couple of records and you kind of need that in a super group. But um, I think just the whole visual aspect of the thing, them on stage together, they felt like a very unique proposition. I think it's unlike anything in Alburn's catalogue. I mean, it touches on certain tracks like This Is A Low and some of those more contemplative moments, but as a as a body of work, it's, it's very much its own thing. And it feels not just greater than some of its parts, but its own separate entity. It's, it is very definitely a supergroup because of who's in it, but it's just, I think of it more as certainly that first album as a, a separate piece of work. Uh, it's, it's glorious and gloomy. Okay, so um, number one for me is an act I completely forgot existed until I saw a still image from the video and I went, oh my God, do you fucking remember this? Um, I don't even know where to begin here. Uh, (laughs) Let's just play the song. <laughs> Fucking hell. Miracle Worker by Super Heavy. Super Heavy. You remember them? Yeah. It's Super Heavy, Craig. A one-off Supergroove project in 2011 consisting of Joss Stone, (laughs) Damian Marley, Dave Stewart of Eurythmics, Aor Rahman of Slumdog Millionaire fame, and of course, you heard him him in his pink suit in the video, Mick Jagger. Jagger and Joss. I mean, uh, why? Why did this happen? Yeah. They released one album, two singles, <laughs> and that's it since 2011. Uh, I just don't get it. It was Dave Stewart's idea, inspired by the sounds washing into his home in St. Anne's Bay in Jamaica. Stewart urged Jagger to fuse their sound with that of Indian orchestras. I mean, fine, but like, why, you know? And what was the Joss Stone connection and where? Uh, she's had a weird career, yeah, right? She has. Like, didn't she? Uh, did she like disappear and then come back with like an American accent or something? What was her? She, I remember getting slagged for having an American accent. I think I that's remember what it was, was yeah. all of that, but yeah. But she's also one of those ones where it's like I'm sure her net worth is like fourteen billion or something, and it's like she's just music that puts you to sleep. What was her big breakthrough? Like, what was her whole thing? Um, I never understood it ever. She was around the same time as the likes of James Morrison and stuff, wasn't she? Katie Melua. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She had that kind of like um, smoky soul kind of voice. I think yeah. she, was she kind of 
to ride it a bit for piggybacking on like kind of black American music a little bit was, she, was that kind of part of that conversation well is she I can't remember I think so but like and she started very young I think wasn't she like 16 or 17 when her, her probably and like it's just out? I mean I don't mean to sound weird here but it's just kind of weird seeing her hang out with like Mick Jagger and Dave Stewart and like what's going what on mean? <laughs> so LA Weekly did a did a top 20 worst supergroups and Super Heavy was their number one and I'm just going to read out what the writer wrote here because it's probably funnier than I can come up with so they say, the best music is often built on mixing different styles and cultures together in a brand new sound. That probably was the intention behind Super Heavy, which featured the head-scratching combination of the aforementioned. Unfortunately, it sounds more like the half-baked result of a drunken conversation at a Grammy after-party. <laughs> Everyone's clearly having a great time, but no one's really getting outside their comfort zone enough to vibe with the others. Stone warbles soulfully, Marley toasts lame shit, he probably freestyled in the vocal booth. Jagger sneers like the aging British millionaire he is, but there's not a shred of chemistry in any of it. It's the ultimate example of a supergroup being less, in this case, way, way less than the sum of its parts. Yeah. I mean, that about sums it up. Yeah, for Damien Marley, it was a case of get in, get the cash, get out. Uh, the Guardian. Try and keep your dignity intact. Easy, like, and he yeah, fails. Easy, <laughs> an easy 16 for the lads. Like. For the lads. The Guardian, or I think Got it was... Got the back. Or, or, or rather, uh, The Observer, sorry, gave it one star in a short review. When the album came out and said, according to the first law of supergroups, there's an inverse relationship between the quality of an outfit and the fame of its constituents. This bodes ill for Super Heavy, which unites the names we've already heard. It seems to exist primarily as a vehicle, a vehicle for Jagger's vocal mugging. Uh, and if I Can't Take It No More is genuinely an exercise in self-parody, it's one of the album's few redeeming features. The combination of reggae, drive-time rock and Bollywood orchestration may work beautifully elsewhere, but not here. And Stone's soulful noodling only makes matters worse. It's just like, it's a car crash of a thing, you know? And it's like, I don't quite understand. I just don't quite understand why. I don't get it. I guess Dave Stewart was like, I've got this great idea. I've got this, I've got this wonderful... Came to him in a dream one night. <laughs> it's like music's worst fucking Avengers. Like, like what are we doing? Yeah. And I, I will say, though, I laugh every time you watch that video and it cuts to Mick Jagger. He's in, like, a shop window or something. <laughs> and he just struts up to the camera in the most Mick Jagger way imaginable in this insane pink suit. He looks like a wrestling manager from the 80s. And I'm like, are you in on the joke? Is there even a joke? Mick's always in on the joke, I think, no? Do you think so? Yeah. He's been know. around the block. So is I my, don't know what so his is angle is, though. Yeah. Maybe he was just bored. He just had nothing to do with it. Maybe he just wanted to hang out with Joss Stone. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, like, you know... <laughs> I'm very pushing that angle. Yeah. I just I just find it a strange union. That's all. I'm sure you could hang out with Josh Stone without having to like Make pull it... a super room together. I, mean, <laughs> like... I don't know. I mean if that's the proviso, you know? Yeah. Very attractive woman, you know. Like he's a very attractive man, you know, like, you know, good for them. Mm, it sounds like you're, you're rooting the for the two of them there. Sure, why not? <laughs> <laughs> all right. As long as someone finds love. <laughs> Doesn't have to be me. It's grand. As long as Mick Jagger finds love <laughs> yeah. Ken, sorry, with a Ken, much younger Ken, woman, you'll be satisfied. Can <laughs> notorious shy and retiring shut-in Mick Jagger catch a break? Find his confidence. Can the man just get laid? I mean, come on! Like it's just it's it's been too long, you know. 
Oh my god, Stone of Love with Mick Jagger. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ. Okay. All right. um, Jagger's Edge. My number one, it's not the Traveling Wilburys. They didn't make it. I'm happy they hooked up. It's, you know, makes me feel warm and fuzzy, but the tunes never quite did it for me. People suggested that for me for worst, actually. Yeah. I like the Roy Orbison bits, and yeah, some of the, you know, promo shots looked cool, them all hanging out, but. um. Yeah, that's what it's all about. (laughs) Get a good photo out of this, lads. These lot could only be number one, though. It's very much the um, D-Generation X of um, Close Harmonies and (laughs) (laughs) Revolutionary 60s Folk. Here we go. (laughs) Wordlessly watching, he waits by the window and wonders at the empty place inside. Heartlessly helping himself to her bad dreams, he worries, did he hear a goodbye, I, or even, hello, the one. Yeah, it's Crosby, Stills and Nash, or... Depending on if he turns up, Crosby stills Nash and Young, <laughs> which is like a bit of a blow in. He never really felt fully part of the group to me. Although, Coming I mean, that, policy type situation, do we think? Or I, I don't know. I mean, that record they did together, Deja Vu, was brilliant. Uh, there is an argument to be made that it, the, the debut is probably my favorite because they're just those close harmonies are great and they're really capturing something special. And I think Deja Vu is like great songwriting individually. And but clearly the like prickliness between them is set in um yeah so you know voices of angels heavenly songs absolute devils that just spent decades upon decades right up until um the death of crosby there a month or two ago um bickering amongst each other um and would you have it any other way no absolutely not no <laughs> i'm helplessly hoping there uh, that that song um, Stephen Stills, I believe, uh, wrote it, but just the voices, the way they combine, so, so good. One of the greatest recorded songs of all time, I, I think. Um, they met at Joni Mitchell's house because... Um, because of course they did. Because of course they did. <laughs> one of them was dating her, and I can't remember which one. <laughs> I think it was Graham Nash. Would have been the year of the throuple back <laughs> yeah. then, you know? Apparently he, like, arrived at her house, and, like, the other two were there, and he's like, oh... Get the guitars out. And I'm like, sure. <laughs> so I like played a Stephen Still song, and like uh, David Crosby was like, within 30 seconds, we had the Crosby Stills and Ash sound. Excellent. And they said, yeah, the first couple of years were just brilliant. And as much as they like would slag each other off and fall out constantly, the way they talked about the supergroup, they were just like, you know, we turn up to um, gatherings of like big musicians and stuff, and the three of us or four of us, if Neil Young happened to show up that evening, would just like start playing together and people would be like, oh my God, how can we compete with these guys? We were just like leagues above. They kind of were. They were just like some tremendous, tremendous work. What was the story with Young though? Like, was he just, it was really just like, he's, you know, he's our mate. If you want to be there, be there. Yeah, he was brought in last. And I think initially he was brought in because they wanted someone on keyboards, which Neil Young can play. Um... But I think he switched the guitar quite quickly. But it was it was maybe 1970 and Neil Young wasn't quite the Neil Young he quickly became. 
And I think once his solo career started taking off, he's like, right, lads, see ya. <laughs> <laughs> and like Stephen Sills talks about like working with him. It's just like he's very, he like bumbles his way into getting his own way. Like he's kind of like, oh yeah, I don't know. And they'd be trying to make a decision and he'd be like, oh, I'm not sure. And just be awkward in a really polite way till he got what he wanted. Okay. Whereas the other two, other three, I think Graham Nash probably was um, the kind of go-between, but certainly David Crosby, fiery character. No Stills, <laughs> button heads. But like there's all, like in between all that fighting and there was stories of like one, one of their employees was like, they broke up eight times in like the two years I worked with them. Um, That's great. There's all these like lovely little stories of like David Crosby and Stephen Stills on like um, Crosby's like little schooner boat, just <laughs> writing a song together called Wooden Ships. I'm just like, it's proto rock. It's like looking great. Um, and I think, you know, some of their songs, Woodstock, uh, which was a, a Joni Mitchell song, actually. I think she wrote it. Ohio, Neil Young song, good stuff like Guinevere. They encapsulated, I think, that political side of post Woodstock um, hippie culture. And actually, the music was good. And um, yeah, just the ongoing soap opera was great. And it was a nice moment to kind of bring in the fact that we didn't have a chance to pay tribute to David Crosby, excellent Twitter personality and fine musician and Hellraiser. And, and great Simpsons cameoist. Oh, well. man. As, Hello, David. Um, <laughs> a I'm really tempted. Just take it one day at a time. And know that I love and you. And know that I love so you. Oh, God. It's fantastic. <laughs> I got some finest Crosby moments um, oh, great. just from his uh, checkered past. He got over his issues by the end, but yeah, he was uh, big into like freebasing cocaine and stuff. I think that's why initially this super group fell apart. No. He's like, I let all those guys down. But there's all these stories of like he once crashed into a fence whilst freebasing with a loaded gun in his car. Let's just back up But here. the detail <laughs> I love is that he was on his way, this was 1982, uh, Buckaroo. Uh, he was on his way to perform at Crosby, Stills and Nash anti-nuclear rally, <laughs> which is so fucking perfect. Hey man, I gotta get it on. <laughs> uh, he, under the influence of cocaine, he opted to drive himself to the show. Uh, he experienced a cocaine seizure, which usually occurs within 90 minutes of freebasing, apparently, and drove his car into a fence. Responding police found his coke and a loaded forty-five. When they asked Crosby why he felt the need to travel with a loaded weapon, he supposedly replied, John Lennon. <laughs> it was like, Fair enough. Oh my god. Um, he also, yeah, at one point, um, the rest of the band hired like an ex Secret Service guy to just shadow him and stop him taking drugs and stuff. Wow. And when he initially met him, he was just like, "So, what's your story?" And he's like, "Oh, I was recently working, um, doing a similar thing for, um, for Belushi, <laughs> and Belushi had just died yeah. <laughs> like about a year previously." Uh, David Crosby was just like. Great resume. Look forward to working on James. Like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> this guy's incredible. Yeah, he's so good. And then bringing it more up to date and bringing back in Ted Nugent, there was a, a point Please on... Please don't bring back in Ted Nugent. <laughs> well, in 2017, Crosby and singer-songwriter Ted Nugent began a feud on social media after Nugent complained the only reason he wasn't in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was his pro-gun stance. Crosby responded by stating, Nugent isn't good enough for the recognition. <laughs> which uh, prompted Nugent to refer to Crosby as an evil rotten soulless punk that has criminally poisoned his bloated carcass his entire vapid life oh with the um, I'm which... very much on the side of Crosby there of course uh, and, and a sweet sweet man <laughs> in the worst possible way and of but course yeah. he went after Phoebe Bridges and she called him a little bitch yeah. and everyone was like yeah he slayed him <laughs> and it was like nah I thought he was pretty funny in that one too he's very funny yeah I must um, go back through his tweets 
Oh, there's some absolute Alzheimer's in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have you seen the one where like a fan shows him this like... This is a drawing. Did a drawing of him. He's just like, what is this? Why are you wasting your time doing this? This looks nothing like me. Oh, <laughs> yeah. He's incredible. He was incredible. Just a crotchety old man. A complete wrestling heel. Like, yeah. Just, and I, I presume they were like, thanks, Dave. You know. Oh, I mean, if you got that off him, you'd be like, yes. Fucking year made, right? Holy shit. What a guy. That's my number one. That's a hell of a way to end the show. Yeah. All right, everybody. That's no encore for this week. Craig is off next week. You don't know what you're week off? I'm going to London this weekend. Go uh, to London. I, I guarantee, guarantee you'll be either mugged or not appreciated. Well, probably not appreciated. Hopefully that's all that happens. <laughs> but yeah. Going to London and also weekend. as a fucking Arctic um, storm descends on the place. Oh, great. Like it's covered in snow. It's so. snowing there, yes. Yeah. Um, any reason? Any gigs on or, or nothing? You going to go see like a Fulham game or something? I don't know. No. I, I've Scoop. Craig is going to... No less than four gigs. You're joking. I bought a lot of like tickets just because I, <laughs> I bought a lot of tickets. <laughs> I wasn't, pl- I was planning on just like going somewhere to break up uh, the week I kind of had to take just off. break up with Mike, <laughs> that you've never I've heard of before. Do. <laughs> but um, there wasn't like anything on that was jumping out at me, but there are shows on. So like I'm going to see The Whole Steady, I'm going to Souls of Mischief, I'm going to Lady Tron, oh. I'm going to Rosie Plain. So oh, yeah, oh. Lady Tron would probably be great. But, I um, saw them in fucking 2009, I want to say. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. If they have a new album and it's apparently decent. So. Oh really? Okay, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. sure it'll be good. Just, you know, keep me off the streets. Sure. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> where, where, where you do your business. Yeah. Uh, that's cool. Yeah, I'll report and, uh, back. Yeah, we're going to the choice prize as well. That'll, oh, we that'll have happened by prize. the time this is out. It will. Will we drop some audio in here? No, nah, no, nah, I, <laughs> nah, I couldn't be fucking bothered this year. Okay. Have a night off. There's no um, real buzz this year, I will say. I'm going to bring... Gonna bring we're we're, we're going to bring the buzz. We are the buzz. By showing up for like an hour. And It'll be my, my first choice since the one just before the pandemic started. I was there as well that night. Yeah, yeah it was a good night. It, it was, was my last night. night out before that. So that I, I was on edge hell. though. I, like, I tend to get on edge before these things, so hopefully it'll be okay. You guys did the pre-pandemic choices. I did the post-pandemic It's choices. true. You were there yeah. last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe I phoned in from the back of a cab. You did. Yeah, yeah you looked very good as well, you know. Did it feel like a big kind of... Um, Countrywide reunion thing of just like, yeah, we made it true. Like, uh, is that if kind that's of your way of saying join piss up, then yeah. That's exactly it. Yeah. Uh, yeah <laughs> Christmas yeah. for the Irish music industry. Ever, it was. It was know? great. It was great. Um, I had a good time. I, I had a song up last year for Song of the Year. So that was great. And you did. Yeah. Um, Craig yeah. and I have a song for Song of the Year this year. I was trying to do three in a row. Didn't Got get my the after coming next year. Oh, yeah. Well, like, I mean, like, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't You'll be back it, next like, year. It's, it's I, a bit of fun. It's fine. It's a bit of fun. It's fine. It's, it's nice. It's nice to get the recognition, I think. But, yeah, I'm looking but, forward to seeing what goes down. I'm sure we're going to bump into lots of people and I'm going to have to be like, yeah, man, you know, Craig's leaving. You know, it's all very. You know. <laughs> That's when you're chatting with Sinead O'Connor, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. We we could mention that before we go. That that she won a classic album. Yeah. So they're doing all these new the all these too. new awards, which you know, like let's be honest, like a lot of them are just like we need to fucking you know Get some give awards going. to people yeah. who might not. I know we got the buzz of Craig and Dave turning up, but we need more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so Sinead O'Connor no podcast of the year. <laughs> fuck, I, I don't want like imagine they did that and it's like. We just get snubbed. We win every year. We get snubbed, baby. Would we get snubbed? I think no. we get. I think we get snubbed. Nope. Well, if it was music podcast. There aren't that many Irish music podcasts. Mm. But I, I couldn't handle losing out. You know, losing to Neuer to that try and win a music man. quiz mate <laughs> <laughs> he's going to be there um, it'd be comes great out to see him so I love Noel. yeah no uh, it, it'd be hard it'd be, it'd, be, it'd be a tough situation um, but no what I was going to say yeah Sinead O'Connor's I didn't want what I haven't got was given the inaugural award for classic Irish album and while I have to say I love Sinead O'Connor I think it's a great album yeah. she's going to be there apparently that's cool 
I do think it's completely fucking insane Loveless. to not give it to Loveless by my buddy Valentine for on your first ever go. Like, fine, Kevin Shields ain't going to turn up and get to take a photograph, but like, what are you doing? Yeah, Stuart Clark was on that judging panel. Maybe, maybe, maybe we can accost him and ask him what went down. Was it the judging panel that decided? Yeah, yeah it wasn't a so. side yeah, thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's yeah, there's judging panels for all, for for all these other you know kind of. And so breakthrough artist of the year is a new one. Like. Yeah, and from what I've heard, like there's not that much going on in terms of criteria and parameters. But also, so. someone else breakthrough artist of the year, pretty well established. Yeah, that's yeah, weird. Isn't it? I don't like one. that. No, no, it's weird. And there's lots of like kind of like how come you're in both of those categories? I mean, it doesn't really matter. Like, like it's I think it's fine, and I think ultimately, I yeah, uh, I mean, like it's just uh, I don't fucking know. I mean, like I just disillusioned. I am jaded. Um, yeah, I'm jaded. I was with excited. The... <laughs> I, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. It'll, it'll be fun. It always is fun. Our friends are going to be yeah, there. Exactly. Yay. We're going to see our friends, Greg. I always enjoy seeing our friends. Okay. This last five <laughs> minutes has been very inside baseball, and I apologize for that, listener. Next week on the show. to the other two hours. <laughs> <laughs> Next week on the show, uh, Zara Hedeman will be joining me Yay. in Craig's uh, substitution place. So that will be fun. I'm looking forward to that. Sonic Architect Adam, thank you so much. We love you. We do. Great to be here. Always great to be here. A super group in the form of one man. And that is No Encore for this week. My name is Dave Hanratty. This has been No Encore. There will be No Encore. And I'll talk to you very soon, guys. Take care. It's patreon.com slash No Encore. If you'd like to support the show, as I get emotional before I leave, that's with my voice cracking. Let's laugh. Bye.